Mention NFTs one more time And it's guaranteed we're not fucking tonight You got open sea on your mind And it should be me that you prioritize Trying to get through, but it don't compute Cause you're busy aiming for the dumb room You think I'm a boost, but I got some news for you I don't care about your crypto, boy Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff. We tell us your host. This is being broadcast live and recorded live on May 13th, Friday the 13th, 9.50 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. And we have a free roll tonight. Before I say anything else, we have a free roll. It is our second week of the Fuck PayPal free roll. And the reason it's the Fuck PayPal free roll is that attorney Eric Benzamokin, who is leading a major lawsuit against PayPal that we've discussed many times, including last week, he has donated money for a few weeks of this free roll leading up to the big hearing they're going to have on May 26th. So this is Fuck PayPal free roll week two, and this week we're giving $50 away. That is 25 for first, 15 for second, 10 for third. 25 for first, 15 for second, and 10 for third as part of the fuck PayPal weeks we're having here. And that's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which you can find near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. You need a validated account on there 
to play in the free roll and you also need to qualify for the free money, which isn't very hard, but you need to understand how you do that by going to pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll, all lowercase. Pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll, all lowercase to read the rules to qualify for the free money, which I could send you by Zelle, by Cash App, by bank transfer, by Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies or whatever's left of them. Not Luna, though. Not Luma. Not, no Luna, no Terra USD, but uh, other cryptocurrencies which still function. Or other methods I could send you money which are used to send money on the internet. I won't send you ACR money because I don't have ACR money, but other methods I will send. So just let me know. PM me on the forum, Dan Space Druff, to claim your money. Or you can text me at the number I'll give out shortly if you want to claim it that way. But better to PM me on the forum. That's how I remember most easily. I pay, I don't know, every few months. So you're not going to get the money right away, but you will get it. I promise you that. We have a thread that keeps track of who has been paid. So everybody gets their money. I just do it in batches because it's a pain in the ass. But I do pay you. I promise I'm going to pay you. In fact, if you see me at the World Series of Poker, you can approach me if you are owed money and say, hey, I'm owed some money from the free roll. I mean, you can start off by saying hi, but after that you can say I'm owed money from the free roll and I'll whip out my Jew wallet and take out the cash and hand it to you. I really will. I have before and I won't be offended. In fact, it's easier on me so I don't have to pay you electronically. So that's going on. It started at 9.50 p.m. And late registration goes until 10.15 p.m. You'll sit down with a full stack anytime between now and 10.15. So get in there. Get in there. Should be a small field this week. And I have an announcement about the room itself near the beginning of the show, which you'll want to hear as well. If you want to call the show, the phone number, as always, is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the number. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. I have a cabin on the top of Mount Charleston where an old 70s rotary phone sits, and it forwards to me wherever I go. That phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. And you cannot text that number. It's an old 70s phone, but you can call it. It's a separate line into the show. No matter which number you call, make sure that if you call, that you wait until I'm about done with a segment or until I ask for phone calls. Because if I'm in the middle of talking about something, I'm probably not going to pick up. And if you call me too many times in a row, I'll probably block your numbers. So just wait until we're either between segments or about to be done with a segment. You can kind of tell when we're about to be done. The call to listen line, which can be used to listen to the show wherever you are with any phone in the world that can dial. It does not require a smartphone. It does not require an app or a data plan or a computer or the Internet. No, 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 no. It's very old school technology. You just need to call a phone number like you did 30, 40, 50 years ago. It's that simple. The call to listen line is just something you call and listen to the show. You can't talk to me there but you can listen to me. That phone number is 605-313-0736, 605-313-0736. And we have the alternate call to listen line, which works the exact same way, 641-741-1095. And if you call during the live show, you'll hear the live show. If you call any other time, you will hear our streaming reruns, where it picks one of more than 400 shows we have done in our more than 10 years of doing this show, which, by the way, I think is the second longest poker show on the internet i don't think there's any poker show 
that has run for a longer time than this one, except for Bernard Lee's show, which has gone for 15 years. If you know of one besides Bernard Lee's that has been going more than 10 years, let me know, but I don't think there is one. Anyway, the call to listen line is free if you can call within the U.S. for free. Unless you have T-Mobile, then it costs you one cent a minute, which is their decision, not mine. They call it a high-volume number, which is flattering yet annoying. And... It will never buffer and never freeze. And like other streaming media, it will never buffer, never freeze. It will just work. It will just play. It's a beautiful thing, the call to listen line. More than 2 million minutes have been listened to on the call to listen line since I built it in late 2015. If you want to text me, you can text me anytime before the show, during the show, after the show. I don't care. Doesn't matter, day or night, you can always text me, 775-372-8355. Our main phone number also serves as our text number, and I will usually answer you. Once in a while I forget, or once in a while somehow I miss the message, but I'll usually answer you. And if you text me during the show, unless you ask me not to read it on the air, then there's a good chance I will. 775-372-8355 is that number. If you're listening live, you can go in the chat room. You can chat with anyone else who's listening to the show. You can put comments there. I look at it every so often because I'm doing everything here. I'm running the technical side of the show. I am talking. I'm thinking of what to say next. I'm producing. I'm just basically managing everything here. So I can't chat at the same time. But I will look every so often at the comments in the chat room. And Dive Bar Dave is asking if there is a free roll. Yes. Open right now for registration. Get in there. should be a small field. If you want to listen to the show in the archives, which is how most of you listen, you can find it in one of many places. You can find it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, the TuneIn app, Spotify, which is what I recommend. Spotify is the best way to listen to the show in the archives, in my opinion. iHeartMedia, which used to have some problems, but I spent hours fixing and finally works again. Stitcher, which does have problems sometimes pulling new episodes, so for the moment I don't recommend them, but they are available as a listening option. The Bullhorn app, which is a good app. In fact, it has its own call-to-listen line. That's actually my second favorite app to listen to this show in the archives, and it gets the show pretty quickly. Bullhorn and Spotify both have clickable timestamps, because I put timestamps since it's a very long show, So this way, if you don't have six, seven hours to listen, you can just jump to the segments you like or that seem interesting to you. And these apps actually allow you to directly jump without sliding the bar to find it. You just click on the timestamp and it jumps you right there. It's very nice on both Spotify and Bullhorn. And we also have the TuneIn app. I'm not sure if I mentioned that yet, but it has two ways to listen. You can listen live on the TuneIn app, or you can listen to the archives there. We have two entries on there. So a lot of different ways to listen to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. We also have Amazon Alexa. You just say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio podcast. Say it very slowly so it understands. But it will play you the last episode in the archives. And if you say next, it'll go to the previous episode in the archives and etc etc we're on audible as well if you have that you can use uh, that to search for poker fraud alert radio whenever you search for us by the way use spaces poker space fraud space alert just type that in it will be found and if there's any other app you want me to add this show to i will 
I'm considering, and I really mean considering, putting out the effort to start posting the show on YouTube, just because that may get us some additional listeners. I'm thinking what I might actually start doing is just posting clips of certain popular topics that people would be searching for, so they can find the show that way, and then I can explain in the clip how they can actually find the full episode. I'm not sure, but the problem is it's a pain in the ass. I have to post it manually. All these other methods I'm talking about are automatic. They can pick up the show on their own. They read something called an RSS feed, and YouTube does not do that. So it would have to be something I post manually each time, which is a burden on me. But maybe I'll do it to increase our listenership. Not going to commit to that at the moment. I'm just kind of tossing around the idea. You can always download or play an MP3 file of the show... And that'll work on any device. You don't need any external player. You just click on it and it works. Just click on the MP3 button on the radio tab near the bottom of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com or go to the Radio Archives forum and the MP3 is right there. You can download it. You can click on it to play it, whatever. But that's also an easy way to listen if you don't want to bother with apps. So there you go. A lot of different ways to listen. In fact, we provide you more ways to listen to Poker Fraud Alert Radio than any other poker or gambling show on the internet. You will not find one with this many listening options. And also with a call to listen line. I mean, who else has that? I want to make it easy for you to find and listen to this show. I don't want to make it a difficult experience on you. Okay, so here's the agenda. First, I'll give you two elements of Poker Fraud Alert news that you're wanting to know about or you're going to want to know about. Then I have a Bryn Kenny update for you. There's controversy again involving Bryn Kenny. That's kind of an offshoot of the controversy that sprung up in April. Then we have another updated story from three years ago where we told you about Maurice Hawkins that he was accused of ripping off Randy Garcia in a staking matter. And this has popped up again. And Randy Garcia was so frustrated, he went to Poker News and reported on the current situation with it, which is not good. So I'll tell you what Randy Garcia had to say about that. And then I'll tell you what Maurice Hawkins' rebuttal was. And then I'll tell you what I think. I won $750 on Bet Online in a blackjack tournament. And it was a free entry blackjack tournament. So isn't that nice? There is no risk. And I won 750 bucks. But then I found out the bad news when I saw the terms and conditions of the contest. And now I'm very sour on Bet Online regarding this contest. I really think the whole thing was kind of bullshit. So I will explain what was wrong with that blackjack tournament and why I think the way they did it was very unethical. Then we will bring back a recent favorite that I have neglected for a few weeks now, and that is Druffy Time Theater. I've just felt recently we've had so much stuff to talk about that I haven't had time for Druffy Time Theater, but this is a lighter week, so I will have time to present to you Druffy Time Theater, because we don't have a three-hour topic this week like we have in recent weeks. And Druffy Time Theater this week goes back to early 1991, 31 years plus in the past, back when I was in college, a college freshman, and I attempted to ask out a fellow student who worked in the cafeteria. Did it work out? What happened? I will tell you this kind of odd story that I don't think I've told on radio before. 
You probably have heard about the Terra Luna disaster that caused a major cryptocurrency crash over the last few days. It's possible you heard about it, but you don't understand it. So what I'm going to do is I will tell you about this Terra Luna crash. I will try to explain this to you so everybody can understand, even those who don't really understand cryptocurrency very well. And then I will give you my opinion about the whole thing and where cryptocurrency stands today, because this may have a long effect on cryptocurrency in several ways, some of which you haven't thought of yet. So that'll be our little uh, crypto segment, which we don't always do on this show, but this week, very big stories. In fact, one of the biggest crypto stories we've had in a long time in the crypto space, so I think I've got to cover it. And a lot of you are into cryptocurrency. In fact, some of you are involuntarily into cryptocurrency because that's the way to load money on and off gambling sites the easiest these days. Speaking of getting money off sites, a poker player known as Rampage, who has been playing on uh, high-stakes live streams lately, like Hustler Casino Live, he tried his hand at America's Card Room, and he has a complaint that they won't let him withdraw, and he's very upset. He says, why bother playing if you cannot withdraw your money? And indeed, he had a withdrawal denied. However, does America's Card Room have a point? So I'll tell you about that story and how I feel about that situation. It's not as simple as it appears on the surface. Cosmopolitan did something nice for their employees. They handed out a pretty good bonus to all of their workers. And when you added it all together, it was a lot of money. So I'll tell you about that. And finally, our last topic, other than the COVID topic, a brutal fight broke out at Hustler Casino. Not Hustler Casino Live, but just a regular cash game at Hustler Casino. And it was over a Yo Mama insult. I kid you not. <laughs> and we will have a COVID topic. About the fourth shot, some new data has come out about the fourth COVID shot that makes it look somewhat better than it previously looked because it looked like it was kind of a fail and you shouldn't bother getting it. I was strongly considering skipping it. Now I'm thinking it probably is a good thing for me to get. So I'll tell you about what has been discovered about the fourth shot. And I'm going to tell you the things you need to know about it, including that this isn't something that everyone should get. Unlike the third shot, there's something important you need to know about the fourth shot. Actually, two important things where you may not want to get it because it's only going to help some people. So that is our agenda this week. So we have a good number of topics, but nothing that's really, really long, unlike we've had in previous weeks. So that's why I felt we had time for Druffy Time Theater. So let's get to our poker fraud alert topics before we get going with the rest. First of all, hats. Let's talk about hats. Poker fraud alert hats are happening. I know in recent years I've said, you know, we should do hats, and then I don't do hats. We did do hats in 2014. 2014, I ordered 72 hats. I ordered 24 white, 24 blue, and 24 black hats. And I gave them all away for free. Some I gave away to people who approached me at the World Series and asked for them. Some I mailed. In fact, most of them I mailed. And some I gave to people I saw in other circumstances, people I saw socially or whatever. 
And then I kept, you know, maybe five for myself. And that was that. So we gave away all the hats, except for the five or so I kept. And, of course, that was quite some time ago. So people have asked me since, people who found Poker Fraud Alert after 2014, or ones who just didn't get a hat back then, or didn't ask for a hat back then, I have been asked, when are hats coming again? And every year I'm like, yeah, we should do that. Then I don't do it. So I said, you know what? This year I'm going to commit to do it. So we're going to do it. It's really going to happen. I have been uh, discussing it. Uh, I think it's probably going to be done by the same people who did this last time, which I found through Trader Ruski. So he is uh, working on this again in the background. And it's going to be just like last time. It's going to be released around WSOP time, which of course is coming pretty soon. I can't guarantee they'll be ready for the very beginning of the series, but it'll be close. I will carry some around with me at the series. And I'm I'm not going to be there the entire series, but when I'm there, I'll carry them around. And if you're going to be there, you can message me, you can text me, and you can tell me you're there, and I can tell you where you can find me and come up and get a hat. Or if you happen to see me in the hallway or whatever, you can say, uh, hey, Todd, you know, I'd like a hat. I listen to the show, and I will give one to you. I'll try to carry one around with me most of the time, carry a few around with me. I did that eight years ago. I'll do it again. And uh, for everybody else, I will mail them to you at my own expense, and you will get the hat for free as well. So everything's free. And with this number of hats, it's not cheap. You know, I'm actually going to be spending some real Jew gold out of my wallet to do this whole thing. But I did it free eight years ago, and I'm going to do it free again. And I remember when we gave away hats on Donkdown when I was part of that site. And I remember I was insistent that we give those away for free. And as things were going south over there, and it looked like that I was basically being run off the site, and I was, as you guys remember, and that was what led to me starting Poker Fraud Alert. But one of the very last things I did there was send out the hats. Because I wanted to keep to my commitment there to send out the hats, even though I knew there'd be a decent chance I wouldn't be part of the site for much longer. But uh, keeping with that tradition on this site, on the hat drop of 2014 and the upcoming one in 2022, I wanted to continue to give out hats for free. Because if you want to wear a Poker Fraud Alert hat, then I want it to be easy for you. I don't want to charge you for it. I didn't want to charge you the cost of it. Just if you enjoy this show, or if you enjoy the forum, or both, and you'd like to wear a Poker Fraud Alert hat, I'd like to give one to you. That's just uh, something I'm just going to do out of the goodness of my Jewish heart. Now, you may wonder, how do you get one? And I already have people texting me. I have a lot of people texting me saying, I want one. Okay, let me give you my address. And I say, no, 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 no. We're not ready for that yet, because I don't want addresses right now, because I don't have physical hats in my possession at the moment and it'll be probably a few weeks till I do so I don't want addresses yet I will let you guys know when that time comes and I will give you the requirements right now for receiving a hat so if you want to see the design it's the same one as last time so if you like the hat last time you'll be happy with them again if you hated them last time I suggest you don't ask for one because it'll be the same thing same design 
And you can go to the PFA Hats 2022 thread on the Flying Stupidity portion of the Poker Fraud Alert forum. If you'd like to see the design, I have it posted up there. And I think we'll probably make those same three colors again. We'll probably make fewer white because that was the least popular. Probably make more black and blue compared to white. Here are the requirements for getting the hat. It's not very complicated. Number one, you must either be a forum poster in good standing, meaning you're not banned, or a known radio listener. So what do I mean by that? Well, a known radio listener would be someone who has interacted with me before and that I can be sure that you've listened to the show. Now, you may think, wait a minute, I've listened for a long time and I just never texted you because I'm kind of shy. I I just didn't want to do that. I just wanted to listen, but I still want a hat. Okay, if you're one of those people who hasn't interacted with me before, you can text me and you can explain how long you've listened. And if I'm convinced that you really have been a listener, then I'll put you on the list too. So you must be either a forum poster, and I I mean someone who's posted at least semi-regularly. I don't mean someone who's made two posts since we went up over 10 years ago. But someone who I'd consider a, quote, forum poster would qualify, as would a radio listener. You can be either or or both. If you're neither, then you wouldn't get it. Number two, you must not have any known debts to other forum members. So if there's someone on the forum who you owe money to and you haven't paid that person, then pay them first before asking for a hat from me because I don't want to spend money sending a hat to you if you owe money to one of our members. This doesn't really apply to very many people, but there's a few people on the forum who owe money. and uh, I haven't outed them because I've been asked not to because some people just don't want to create drama with each other and I'll respect that, but... I'm not talking about so much like scamming or anything. I'm just saying that, you know, if you owe money to somebody and you haven't paid it, then pay it or don't ask for a hat. But as I said, this only applies to very few people. Just about everybody else doesn't owe money to other forum members. And number three, and please be honest about this because I have no way to verify it, but number three, you must have the desire to actually wear the hat sometimes and not just collect it. So don't just throw it in the back of your closet with your other poker merchandise you've collected over the years with maybe your UB hat and your Planet Poker hat and your Paradise Poker hat and your True Poker hat and your Doyle's Room hat and your UB hat. You know, like I, I don't want you to do that. You don't have to wear it every day. You don't have to wear it every week. You don't have to wear it every time you play poker. You don't have to wear it at the WSOP if you don't want. But I want you to wear the hat at least sometimes. So if you don't have a plan to ever wear it, and it's just going to be a collector's item, then don't ask for it, because that's not why I'm having these made. That's not why I'm paying to ship them. I'm shipping them to people who want to wear the hat. So I have no way to check on this, but just think about it. You know, I'm spending the money to send this and the effort to send this and to have them made and all that. So please be honest about it. And if you just don't have a desire to ever wear this hat, then don't ask for one and let it go to someone who will. That's what I ask of you. So how do you claim one? Well, again, you'll have to wait for the announcement. The announcement will be on the forum. The announcement will be on the Poker Fraud Alert Twitter, which you can find on twitter.com slash pokerfraudalert. And it will also be on this show. So the show immediately following when I'm ready to send the hats, 
I will say that here. So don't panic. It's not first come, first serve. We have a priority list, not of people, but of categories. Well, some people too, but I will give you the priority list right now from first priority to last priority. And if you're not on this list, if none of these apply to you, then you won't get a hat. I can guarantee you that. So priority one is me. Yes, I'm going to take, again, some for myself. Not that many, maybe five again or something, but I'm going to take some for myself. Now, why do I need like five hats? Do I have five heads? I kind of wish I did, but no, I keep hats for myself in case I lose one or more than one or they get old, they get dirty. Like I had one that I was wearing for a long time and it got pretty beaten up. So one day I'm like, you know what? I am not going to continue wearing this beaten up hat. I will pull out a quote new one. So I pulled out a several years old PFA hat that looked brand new because it was sitting in its plastic and I hadn't touched it. And I was glad to have it. And that's the one that I will be wearing again at this year's World Series. And I wore last year and still looks pretty good. But I want to keep like five of them for myself. So I'm priority one. And I think that's only fair. I'm the one paying the bills. And it's my site. Priority two. Poker Fraud Alert Radio regular and semi-regular co-hosts. Meaning if you co-hosted once, this doesn't uh, earn you a spot. But if you have co-hosted... you know, at least a few times. So it doesn't. when I say semi-regular, that's very loose. It doesn't have to be semi-regular. It's got to be someone who's been a co-host uh, like more than once or twice. Someone that would be associated with being a, a PFA co-host, even if kind of short-lived. So obviously the current ones that you guys all know, like Brandon, like Trader Ruski, like Calwatt, they would definitely be in that priority group, but so would others like the Northern California guy and Daredevil. uh, People like that will also be right there in the next priority group of priority two. Priority three, people who have donated to anything on Poker Fraud Alert. So any kind of contest or free roll that you have donated real cash money to, then you will be priority three, which is still pretty high priority. You're pretty much guaranteed to get one because... I'm going to get a lot of hats. I'm probably going to get at least 72, maybe more than that. So we don't have 72 people in these first three categories. Number four, friends of mine, that is personal friends, who are also Poker Fraud Alert posters or radio listeners. So I'm not going to give this to just friends who have nothing to do with Poker Fraud Alert and don't care about it, but people who I'm personally friends with that are posters or radio listeners, they will get uh, priority there. They'll be priority four. Priority five, people who are on the forum with more than 2,000 total posts. So if you've posted more than 2,000 times on the forum, then you are someone who's helped keep it active over the years. And I appreciate that you will be priority five, which is still pretty high. Priority six, people who don't quite meet that 2,000 post threshold, but since January 1st, 2020, basically in the 20s, you've made 500 or more more posts. So someone who's done more lately will be priority six. Priority seven, known radio listeners, people I've interacted with in some way. So if you're a known radio listener, then you'll be priority seven. Priority eight would be all other Poker Fraud Alert forum posters and radio listeners. So if I know who you are as a forum poster 
or if you are a radio listener who I may not really know, but you can convince me that you've been listening, then you will also get a hat, provided that there are some left at that point. And I think there should be. I think we should have hats for everybody. But just in case I have a priority list set up here, and there is one priority below all of that. So I already gave you eight priority categories. Who's priority nine? Priority nine is Mason Malmuth. <laughs> so Mason, and I'm serious here, Mason, if you want a Poker Fraud Alert hat and you promise you're going to wear it at some point, you will get a hat, but only after everybody else in these other eight categories get a hat. But there may be one left over for you. I'm not even kidding. So if you'd like one, I can uh, meet you somewhere in Vegas during the summer, and I'll give it to you, or I'll even ship it to you. So let me know, Mason. Mason will sometimes listen to the show if someone tells him to go listen. So this isn't a joke, though. If Mason wants one, and he says he's going to wear it, then I will send him one after everybody else. So he's the last priority. But I, I didn't want to exclude him, because I know what a fan he is of this site, and always has been. All right, so that's our hat news. So you don't have to panic. You don't have to jump on your phone and text me right now. I want a hat, I want a hat. You, you don't have to. Just wait until the announcement that we're ready to ship, and then send me your info. When I make that announcement, then I'm going to split everybody up into those priority groups, and it's possible the priority groups won't matter because it's possible I'll have enough hats to send to everybody. I'm still deciding how many to order. Uh, and then if I have enough for everybody, then even Mason can get one. But just in case we don't, that's the way I'm going to distribute them. And you may ask, well, what happens if we get down to priority eight, which is like everybody else except Mason who doesn't fit into one through seven? And how do I decide who gets one? It's going to be just first come, first served at that point. So that's the only way first come, first serve will matter is if we don't have enough to send to everybody and the top seven priority groups all have gotten theirs, then the eighth priority group, it would be just first come, first serve. But I'm going to try to get enough for everybody. Okay, the other announcement is that there's going to be something changing involving the No Fraud Online Poker Room. That has been run the entire time by Belly Buster. And he has spent a good deal of money over the years doing so. Some of you don't realize this. Belly Buster has spent over $5,000. I'm not kidding. Over $5,000 running the No Fraud Online Poker Room. I told you he was running this out of his flat there in England, but that wasn't quite true. I actually thought for a while that really was true. So I said this for a while believing it. And then I found out the truth... And I was kind of disappointed. I was so disappointed I didn't want to tell anyone the truth because it was kind of sad. But he actually was not running this out of his flat in London. He actually had bought space on an Amazon web service and was running it from there and was paying a monthly fee to do so. So he was actually paying 40 bucks a month. And I'm not revealing any secrets here. He posted this on Poker Fraud Alert this past week. And that has added up over the 10-plus years he's been running it to $5,000 So I thank him for his generosity. And by the way, he's donated money to the free roll, including in the past year. He's donated a lot as well. He's donated four figures total to the free roll. So he's a very generous guy, and I really appreciate this. 
But, you know, the time comes for things to change. And we didn't have any falling out or anything like that. But uh, he just kind of decided that uh, it's time to hand it off. And I said, okay, you can hand it off to me. And that was always my plan. My plan was that if Belly Buster ever tired of running it, that I would just take it over. So the good news is it's easier than I thought it would be at first because I don't have to have a separate computer running or run this in the background, uh, on the server I use for the radio or anything like that. I just need to take over the billing for AWS that it's running on and just let it keep running there. It's just going to be me running it instead of him. So this handoff hasn't happened quite yet, but it's going to happen in the next few weeks. And at that point, and I'll let you know when it is, at that point, uh, don't bother messaging him for any tournament or poker room related things. Then you'll have to message me because I will be running that as well at that point. I am looking for a way to do this cheaper. Um, I appreciate the 40 bucks he's been spending every month here, but I had no idea it was that much. And I'm not sure if that's the best way to be doing things because really all we're doing with that is just running it once a week for the free roll. And it's really not used for anything else. So... We had some tournaments and stuff over time, but really, in a typical week, it's only used a few hours a week for our free roll. So we really don't need it running 24-7 as it typically does. So uh, what the plan is for the moment is he's going to hand it off to me and show me everything, show me all the ropes of how the whole thing works, because I've never run this before. I've never used that software before from the admin standpoint. So once I get uh, familiar with all that, I will take it over from him. I will start paying the 40 bucks a month. But uh, if you guys have any ideas how to do this cheaper, let me know. I'm going to tell you right up front, the challenge here is that the No Fraud Online Poker Room software we use is Windows only. And if it was something that were to run on uh, Linux, then it would actually be much, much cheaper to run. If it was on Linux, then I could run the No Fraud Online Poker Room for... Zero point... Zero. Because that's what we use to run this forum and this radio show. So I've got the PFA server already running, and I could just make that another thing it does. But unfortunately, we need Windows. But if you can think of a way we can do this a lot cheaper, that's not a big burden, let me know, and I will consider it so I can save some money. Because, you know, I could just take it over and run it as is and do it for 40 bucks a month. But you know what? That's almost 500 bucks a year. You know, there's a lot you can do with 500 bucks. So I'm not sure if I feel that good about that. I mean, when it was Belly Buster's money, that was fine. But now that's going to be my money. Ugh. 40 bucks a month is kind of oppressive. So if you can think of a cheaper way to run this Windows software, let me know. And I don't want something to interfere with the reliability or something that's tough for people to access. Like, I want it to be accessed through that same URL we have going. So, like, I don't want it to be some IP address people have to type out or whatever. Like, I I, I want it to be something that will be stable. I still think we can do this for cheaper. So, i got to think about that. Okay, so those are our two announcements for the week. Longhair5150 in the chat 
said Druff, I feel the sudden urge to donate to the free roll, but seriously, can I donate $500 in Ethereum? Where do I send it? Whoa. Mm, I mean, that's a very generous donation. Where can you send it? Well, PM me on the forum. I'll, I can give you my Ethereum address if you're really serious about this. Wow. At long here, I, I don't... I hadn't really noticed him up until recently. I don't know if he's a new listener or if he just recently started making himself better visible on the forum, but I appreciate anything that's donated here. I don't ever ask anyone to donate. I don't expect anyone to donate, and I don't hold it against anybody who won't donate or chooses not to or just doesn't feel like it. Uh, All I ask is that you listen, and if you don't like listening, don't listen either. So I really expect nothing of the listeners, but anyone who wants to go beyond that nothing and do things that are helpful to the show or to me, I always appreciate immensely. I'm not the slightest bit entitled when it comes to Poker Fraud Alert and anything that anyone does that donates their time or their money. I'm very appreciative because I know you don't have to do this. So just always know that. But it, I, And I have no expectation on anyone that they have to do something for me. And that's just always been the same way I feel about the co-hosts, too. The co-hosts don't own any piece of this site, and I want the co-hosts to come on if it's convenient for them and if they enjoy it. And if they don't or they can't, then fine. That's okay, too. And that's why sometimes we have periods where we don't hear from our co-hosts for some period of time because they're sleeping or they just uh, have gotten burnt out or they're busy, or maybe something's happening in their life to where they just uh, aren't in the mood to do it, whatever it might be. It's fine, because uh, the only one with kind of an obligation to do this every week is me, because it's my site, and someone's got to be here every week, so it's going to be me, since it's my site, and anyone else who wants to join me as a co-host, I appreciate the time they give. All righty, so we are going to now move on to our regular topics. I have an update on the Bryn Kenny story. And you may say, oh no, I don't want another three-hour Bryn Kenny segment. And I will say, good, you're not going to get one. This time it's going to be a shorter segment, but it is an interesting update, and it's one that is not really getting very much discussion in the poker space this time. Unlike recent Bryn Kenny stories from the prior week and the week before that, everyone was paying attention there. I mean, everybody was talking about Bryn Kenny and the allegations brought against him by Martin Zamani and the interview he did on Poker News. Just everyone was talking about it. But something else has happened since then that I think you guys should know about. And it's kind of an interesting situation. And it's not even directly about the story about the allegations regarding multi-accounting and cheating and all that. This is kind of an offshoot that came from the degraded reputation he has. And this shows you how when someone becomes kind of toxic to the community, then the community starts to question anyone who associates with them in any way. So here's what's happening. There's a woman named Nadia Magnus, and you can find her on Twitter at Nadia KGB. That's 
N-A-D-Y-A-K-G-B, Nadia KGB. I'm guessing this is a play on uh, Teddy KGB, KGB from uh, Rounders. But Nadia KGB was the 2021 Female Global Poker Index Player of the Year winner. And she claims that her Twitter account is a drama-free poker account. Now, indeed, Nadia Magnus, up until the last uh, day or so, has not ever been involved in drama. She just is not one of these girls who injects herself into it. And there are girls on Twitter who do inject themselves into drama. Some occasionally, some often, some like all the time. But Nadia was not one of them. When she says it's a drama-free poker account, she's telling the truth. She just keeps her head down and plays poker and does well. And indeed, she was the player of the year, the female player of the year, that is. And something else she does that she's gotten known for in recent times is a giveaway. And this giveaway is not aimed at everybody. It is only aimed at female poker players. So Nadia decided that there's not enough female poker players, which is kind of true. Like at the main event of the World Series, it's like 97 plus percent male, which is pretty crazy. Some events, even worse. There was one year I played the 10K Limit Hold'em where it was 100% male and 0% female. And that was kind of surprising because there are some good and successful middle to high stakes Limit Hold'em players who are female and just none of them wanted to enter that tournament that year for some reason. So it's not even like a Limit Hold'em thing. There are some female Limit Hold'em players. But that year there were none. And really, just at any World Series event, you're just not going to see many females. If you go to the room, aside from the ladies' event, of course, but you go to the room and you look around, especially at events which are 1,500 buy-in and above, but even the lower events as well, just look around the room, and you're not going to see many females. You'll see a few dotting the room here and there, but you're just not going to see many. Poker has always been a very male game, and that just isn't changing year after year. And there's a debate that pops up on Twitter every so often, including recently, about why that is. And I have my beliefs on it, and others have their beliefs, but we're not going to really get into that debate here. But anyway, Nadia decided not too long ago, I forgot when this started, but she decided she's going to do these giveaways where every so often she gives away a tournament seat, usually like a pretty big tournament seat, to a female and has some kind of contest for the females who are interested to win the seat. So she's trying to give opportunities to women in poker to play some of these uh, main event, uh, the ma- these main events of these series and possibly have some success, which is very generous of her. She does this out of her own pocket, and I think that's very nice. And some of you may say, well, that's not fair. Why is she not including dudes? Well, because she doesn't want to. It's her money. She can include who she wants. So I have no problem with her giving this away to women if that's what she wants to do. I always feel people should spend their own money the way they want. They should give away their own money the way they want. And since women are definitely the minority by a very large margin, if she wants to give this away to a woman, that's fine. So she's doing that again this year. In fact, she was giving away 
four seats, one to the World Series of Poker main event, which of course is $10,000, and the other three are to the $2,200 buy-in win mystery bounty event. So that's another 6600 bucks. So she was giving away $16,600 worth of seats to women and was holding a contest for this. And it didn't get that much talk or attention because there's not that much to say other than this is generous and very nice of you to do. But she finally got that drama she's been avoiding. And you may say, wait a minute. How could there be drama over this? You know, maybe over the fact that she's giving it to women only, but she's been doing that for a little while and hasn't been a big deal. So how could there possibly be drama over such a generous offer that she's not gaining from at all? There's like no ulterior motive here. It's not like a old perverted dude that's giving this away to women because he hopes he can uh, have sex with them or whatever. Like this is just some woman who I assume is heterosexual who's just giving it away to other women in poker as like a show of solidarity with female poker players. So anyway, what could possibly be controversial about this? I'll tell you what. Bryn Kenny responded on May 12th at 2.13 p.m. Pacific time. I'll add a WSOP main event seat to your giveaway. Great what you're doing. Uh-oh. Now this happens sometimes in politics, where a politician will get a nice campaign donation from a source they wish was different. Because it's a source that, if it were to come out that that person was donating to them, then the opponents of that politician would have new attack material. So sometimes politicians will refuse donations from someone who has a bad reputation or has ties to something that has a bad reputation. So in this case, Bryn Kenny has a bad reputation because of the recent cheating scandal, where he's been accused of all kinds of bad things. And when he came on that interview with Poker News to defend himself, number one, he wasn't very convincing. And number two, some of the things he kind of verified <laughs> it's not like it's not like he came on there and just said Martin Zamani's making everything up here. Like a lot of the stories were at least partially true, even by his own admission. A lot of people think that Zamani probably was mostly accurate with the things that he claimed about Bryn. And I kind of think that too. So Bryn is trying to rehabilitate his reputation, especially because I'm assuming Bryn wants to play at the World Series of Poker. And he probably thinks that when he shows up at the World Series that some people are going to give him a hard time and not be very happy to see him, given this major scandal. So he's really hoping to rehabilitate the way people see him. And so he looks at Nadia and what she's doing and knows that a lot of people look up to her for this giveaway and they really respect this giveaway. So he thought, oh, okay, I'll piggyback on that. Because keep in mind, Bryn could do his own giveaway. Bryn could say, okay, everybody, here's a contest. And he could even just open it to women only also. But here's a contest for women only, main event seat given away. All right. It's his money. He can do what he wants. And I'm sure he would have people competing for it because it is a free main event seat. But he's not. He's piggybacking on Nadia's contest. And he's doing that. Because if he's associated with something 
that is known to be generous and selfless for women in poker, then that can start to cloud the picture you have of him. And maybe your picture of him in your head will not be as negative. Maybe you'll see him at the World Series and say, oh, that jerk, you know, he was doing this multi-accounting and ghosting and running this stable where people were colluding, blah, 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 blah. And, and he was making his horses do frog poison with a shaman. Like, you're going to think all these things. And uh, you will think badly of him, but then you go, wait a minute, though. Wait a minute. Bryn Kenny also gave a full main event seat away to women in this contest that Nadia Magnus runs every year. Wow. You know, he's not such a bad guy. Now, Nadia had no problem taking this main event seat from him. She responded, great, very much appreciated. Guys, anyone else who wants to join Bryn's generous gesture? So she was hoping this would encourage others to give further main event seats, not realizing that Bryn was probably doing it as a way to improve his image that this wasn't just a random kind of gesture. So then someone who goes by Kaz, whose name on Twitter is, uh, that's his name, his, his handle on Twitter is at Greek Stein. He sarcastically tweeted back, maybe reach out to Russ Hamilton and Mike Postle and see if they want to put up any prizes of their own. <laughs> I mean, Kaz kind of has a point there. You got to watch out where you're taking these prizes from. Now, I'm not going to say that uh, it's as bad as taking one from Russ Hamilton or Mike Postle. But yeah, when you're running a contest that everyone loves and really is drama free, as you like to say, it probably isn't a good idea to associate Bryn Kenny with it at this point. So a number of people objected. And Nadia finally posted her first dramatic statement on Twitter. This is what she said. This may be the first negative thing she's ever posted. I don't really follow her account, but it's the first negative thing I ever saw her post. She wrote, there will always be people that'll find something negative about anything. I think it's a great thing that Bryn Kenny is adding a main event seat to the giveaway, regardless of what he may have done or not done in the past. This extra seat will make someone happy. Maybe even more good can come out of this. Maybe someone else will give away another seat, with or without me. Who knows? I will never turn away a person who wants to help. He that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. Now that's a uh, biblical quote from Jesus Christ. And I I won't claim to be a Jesus expert being Jewish, but uh, I know of that one. Basically, let he who is without sin cast the first stone, which... I'm sure you know means don't judge people unless you have never done anything wrong yourself. Matt Berkey responded. And, you know, with Berkey, sometimes I agree with him. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I think he has a really good point. Sometimes I don't. But in this case, I agree with what Berkey said. He said back, I could get behind this messaging if Bryn had been left anonymous. But as it stands, this is a cheap method of him using your platform to repair his image. Think of the seat winner and the potential moral quandary they stand to face if they're aware of how that money was sourced. Now, the last part I don't agree with so much. I don't think the seat winner has to worry about where the money was sourced. I don't think that's their business. This is something Nadia is giving away. And however she collected the money for it, that's really on her. It's not on the winner of this contest. 
But at the same time, he's correct about the first part. He said that had it been left anonymous, if Bryn privately contacted her and said, hey, you know what? I'd like to contribute here, but I don't want to inject drama into your contest. So how about I just add a seat and you can say an anonymous donor added it? Well, that would be fine because an extra seat gets added and Bryn's rep does not get rehabilitated from this because no one knows he gave it. So that's really doing something selfless and nice. If if Bryn were to have done it anonymously, then 100% provided he didn't take credit later, that would really just be because he wants to be generous and nice. But when he's doing this under his name and expects plaudits for it right after he's been involved in this scandal, it doesn't take a genius to figure out why he's likely doing it. So Nadia's point was, look, I don't care who gives it away. I don't care what Bryn is accused of. He's giving away a seat that someone's going to win, and maybe they'll do something good with it. Maybe this woman who wins it will go on to cash very big at the main event, and we will have helped that woman build a large bankroll. So why should we turn away that free seat worth $10,000 just because we don't like Bryn Kenny these days? So on the surface, that looks like a good point. On the surface, like, what does it really matter? But the problem is, is that she's letting this contest be used by somebody who's accused of wrongdoing in poker. This isn't wrongdoing with other things. It's not like uh, people from outside of poker are accusing Bryn of uh, ripping them off or whatever. I'm not saying it's good if he does that, but at least it doesn't directly involve our community. But when the community has been allegedly ripped off by Bryn's actions then if he's giving away this seat to kind of cloud the issue and make it look like he's a better guy than people are thinking right now, then you are letting your contest be used for that. And that's where you have to be aware of where the money's coming from. So you can't just say, well, whoever donates it, then great. Uh, What if, like, let's say someone just directly steals $10,000. Let's say... uh, Someone breaks into somebody else's hotel room and steals a thousand ten thousand dollars uh sitting on the table. And it's pretty well known that they did it, but not enough proof to get them busted for it, whatever. And then that person goes and gives this ten K and says, Okay, Nadia, here's the ten K. She should refuse it because she should say, Look, this is stolen money. I don't want to take it. Number one, that would be wrong. And number two, it would be a very bad look for my contest here. It will corrupt something that is otherwise very pure. So you do have to pay attention where the money's coming from. You can't just take it and say out of sight, out of mind is going to help someone, no big deal. I'm personally less concerned about where it, quote, came from, even if Bryn won this via cheating. I'm less concerned with that than just the way this contest is being used by him to try to repair his image. Because it's up to Nadia how she wants to run this contest. And if she wants to take a seat from Bryn, then that's her right. I'm not saying she can't. I'm not saying she doesn't have the right to do so. She does, but I don't think it's the right decision. You have something that everyone likes, that everyone respects. Why cloud it like this just to get another seat to give away? You should have said, thank you, Bryn, but I'm afraid we can't do that. But I encourage you to run your own contest. You can run your own identical contest. But 
I'd really prefer you just run it yourself because uh, this is going to introduce a lot of drama here that I really don't want. But I encourage you to give it away, Bryn. Go ahead and give it away, but run the contest on your own. I think that would have been the best answer to give him. And this way, if he's really serious about it, then he could run his own contest. There's no reason he can't. And then he could give away a seat to a female poker player with nothing attached. Why can't he? Why does it have to be Nadia's contest? So that's what you should have done. So Bryn actually fired back. He fired back to Matt Berkey. He said, somehow my image with everyone at the highest stakes of people who've been around for a long time is not affected. I don't agree with that. He's, he's claiming all the high stakes people are cool with him. I do not believe that. Many cheating allegations, but no truth to any cheating or proof. A few possible ghostings in a 15 career. When I look in the mirror, I'm happy with who I am. <laughs> Just a few possible ghostings, guys. You know, what's a few possible ghostings of tournaments among friends? You know, it's, it's 15 years. Every so often you're going to ghost, right? It's no big deal. Doesn't matter. You know, it's just 15 years of tournament after tournament after tournament. And you have a stable of players. Yeah, every so often you got to have someone ghosting. But it's just a few times. And it's not a few ghosting incidents. It's a few possible ghosting incidents. I don't know how it's, quote, possible. He should know. He's the one accused of doing it. Either you did, Bryn, or you didn't do it. A few possible ghostings. If he's saying that, you know, it's it's just like, like... it's ghosting. Like, it's not possible ghosting. If, if he never ghosted, he would know it, and he'd say, I never ghosted. Like, I've never ghosted. I've never had anyone play for me. I've never played for others. So if someone said, Todd, why have you been ghosting tournaments? And I would say, I'm not. I never have. But he's saying that there's no proof that he was cheating. That's another weird thing to say. How about just, I've never cheated. I've never cheated, and there can't be proof because I never have. Not There's allegations and no proof. That means, well, at the moment, not enough proof has been presented to make it 100%, so therefore, no proof. Well, no proof doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means that there's been no proof presented yet. So while I will agree that we can't say with 100% certainty that these things happened, Given what we heard from Martin Zamani and given your own rebuttal, which a lot of these things were kind of at least partially true by your own words, I would be shocked if these were all false allegations. I think probably Martin got a few things wrong here and there. Maybe he exaggerated here and there. I could believe that. But do I think that Bryn didn't do all these things? I'd be very surprised if that were the case. Some guy named Toby Lewis, I don't know him, but he's uh, at 810 of clubs. That's 8, number 10 of clubs, exactly as it sounds on Twitter. He wrote back to Bryn, you really are a horrible piece of shit. (laughs) And Bryn wrote back, LOL, please say it to my face next time. Instead of being nice to me always and being jealous of my success and talking shit behind my back like I've known you to do. You have no idea about me, kid. So I don't know who this Toby is, but apparently Bryn does. And Bryn believes that Toby talks shit about him behind his back, but that when he sees Toby in person, that Toby is nice to his face. 
That's possible. And in fact, I've experienced that sometimes myself where I will see someone in person and they will not talk shit to me and they'll act nice sometimes, but then they'll talk shit behind my back and also online. And, you know, I understand there's something to be said for not creating confrontations in person, especially in the poker room and not creating disruptions. And yeah, I will see people that I talk about and I'll see them in the poker room and I won't necessarily go up and start problems with them. So I can understand that. But what I don't get is being nice to someone in person that you talk shit about online or that you talk shit about behind their back. Because if there's someone who I really don't like and then I see them in person, I'm just going to kind of avoid them. I'm just not going to want to talk to them. I'm not going to want to interact with them. I'm just going to kind of avoid them. And I would think they would do the same thing with me. And that's fine. And there are people who see me around the World Series who don't like me. And uh, if they just avoid me and say nothing, great. Okay, they've done the right thing. Yeah, when someone's like nice to your face and then talk shit behind your back, it's annoying. I can understand that. So so maybe this Toby guy who does that to Bryn, maybe he doesn't. But uh, it, it is interesting where he says, please say it to my face next time. It's that kind of challenge, like, come on, you're going to say that to my face? You're going to say it to my face, huh? Come on, Toby. Next time, come up to me. Say it to my face, man. Like, is Bryn really going to go fight him after that? I, I don't know. I don't know what this Toby guy looks like either. Bryn already uh, coming pretty hard at that guy. So as it stands, uh, Nadia's keeping the seat and giving it away. So she's not refunding it back to Bryn. She's not bowing to the pressure. And she can. Again, it's her contest. She can get the money whatever way she wants. And I don't think she's doing this to be evil or mean or insensitive. I I think she's just kind of a little out of touch to be doing it this way. I think she's too focused on building as big of a contest prize pool as possible to help women in poker and not looking at the optics of it. But the, the community has to have at least some degree of solidarity in these things and I don't think a contest like that should be partially funded by someone who's been in so much controversy lately involving a cheating scandal. Unless it was widely believed that it's all false allegations, but that is not what's widely believed. It's the opposite. A very high percentage of people who've observed the situation with Bryn Kenny believe he did something wrong. And when I say something, I don't mean just like one small thing. I mean, like, they believe shady things were happening on a regular basis. That That's the general consensus in poker. There's some people who don't think that. There are some, though they're definitely in the minority from what I've seen, who believe that Bryn is innocent or mostly innocent. But really, you know, if you took a poll, is Bryn mostly guilty or mostly innocent? Mostly guilty would win by a wide margin, a very wide margin. And there's a reason for that. And it's not because of propaganda or Doug Polk or Martin Zamani. It's because from everything we're seeing, it appears that way. And by the way, Bryn admits that Martin was part of his stable. He even admits he sent Martin to that shaman to do the frog poison and all that. So like, a lot of this stuff has been verified. But it's not like he's saying, I barely know this guy. Who is he? He's just making these allegations. But he definitely had a lot of interaction with Martin, and Martin was definitely one of his stake horses. He's admitted that. So all Bryn would have to do if he's innocent is just release all the messages they had between each other and show that Martin is completely full of shit. But he doesn't do that because it's unlikely Martin is totally full of shit. 
as I said, I'm guessing that most of that was true. And that is why we have not seen any, any proof back from Bryn Kenny that Martin Zamani is lying. Because Martin Zamani probably isn't lying. At least not about most of it. All right. Well, not much more to say about that. I think that Nigel is making a mistake here. Let's move on to another controversy. And this is the Maurice Hawkins controversy, the sequel. And it really is a sequel because it's the same story three years later involving the same people. This is Maurice Hawkins versus Randy Garcia. And it's getting ugly. So three years ago, Randy Garcia, who's a poker player, called out Maurice Hawkins, who is a big ring winner at the WSP circuit. He plays a lot of circuit events, and he's won a lot of rings. There's no person who's won more rings than Maurice Hawkins. So you'll say, okay, well, he must be really killing it, right? Maurice Hawkins must be rich if he's won the most circuit rings of anybody in the world, which he has. But no, Maurice Hawkins is having money problems. I'm not guessing this. I'm not assuming this. I'm not trying to throw shade because I'm jealous that he has all these rings and I have none. No, I am saying this because Maurice Hawkins has admitted it. In fact, there was a court case over this matter, and the court awarded Randy Garcia $115,828 from Maurice Hawkins over this dispute. So the court has affirmed that Maurice Hawkins does owe money to Randy Garcia. So this goes back to the summer of 2019, and Garcia went to both Twitter and to Poker News, and he said that he met Maurice Hawkins back in 2017, and this was in 2019, so he was saying that two years prior, he met Hawkins at the WSOP circuit. And uh, Garcia didn't have that much time to play because he was not a poker pro. He had a regular job. He just didn't have enough time to play these circuit events, and he was impressed with Maurice Hawkins' record and said, okay, uh, I will stake you. So he said, in March of 2017, I began to stake Maurice Hawkins by providing him a bankroll for 50% of his action. He did very well for me. And then in May, that is May uh, 2019, he came in third at the WSP circuit event after being the chip leader with only a handful of people left. The next day, I got a message that he lost our entire bankroll playing blackjack because he was in, he was depressed and in a casino alone. So this was three years ago. He told us the poker news. And we, we reported this at the time. I'm just refreshing your memory because I don't expect you to remember all the details here. So he said, instead of blowing up, I responded with kindness and understanding. In order for me to see my money again, I knew I had to give him some additional funds for the 2017 WSOP. So I guess this wasn't in 2019 that he blew the money. I guess it was also in 2017. During the WSOP, he did very well final tabling two separate events. I flew out to Vegas to collect my half, and that's when the excuses started. He only paid me a fraction of what I was owed, so he continued to play events. Every time I asked for my share, he said, be patient. When it was clear I wasn't going to get paid and stop sending him money, the deal was over. He said he could pay me and that on the next big score, he would, he would get me. Get me, meaning finally pay him. He has had a number of six-figure scores and refuses to pay me even a dollar. We then set up a monthly payment plan, and after the first two months, he decided to no longer pay me. By the way, let me stop right there. 
How many times have I told people here that when someone owes you money and they claim they're going to make monthly payments, never be impressed by a first month's payment or even a second month's payment. For some reason, when deadbeats owe you money and agree to a monthly payment plan, for some reason, two months is a very, very common number of months to pay and then stop. For some reason, it just never gets to the third month. So if you get to the third month of payments, you're probably going to get the rest of them. If you don't get to the third month, then you're screwed. So he claims that's what happened here. It's been almost two years now, he says in 2019. I have kept this matter private, hoping he would have enough integrity and respect for me to pay back. So two years later, I had no choice but to sue him and expose him. I want the poker community to be aware of this so no one makes the same mistake I did. So indeed, he got this judgment. So it was for 115828 And, you know, it was a legal court judgment and he had the right to collect. However, that's easier said than done as far as collecting. Now, at the time in 2019, this is what Hawkins responded back to Poker News. We have handled this amicably and there's really nothing to write about. While he did back me, we had many conversations and money transactions that had nothing to do with backing. Dude had what he presumed I owed him. I was making payments. He wanted a lump sum. He said if he didn't get 30K, he was going to go on Twitter, contact the world, and defame my name. By getting people to post about loans as if it's poker news and it's really not, had nothing to do with backing. Basically say shit that Twitter trolls love like scum and I am a scammer and then run with it. He made money off me like everyone else had in the past. What I borrow from someone isn't news, but when you're a poker player, I guess people find a way to make it news. I am all these things when I didn't want to give him the lump sum, but... Yet, I bet the story wouldn't be spun like that. Like I said, it's been handled and he will viol- validate that. Now, it's interesting he mentions that because Maurice Hawkins actually contacted me around that time. And you may ask, why? What did I have to do with this? Well, not much, but it was reported on Poker Fraud Alert on the forum. So, he wanted it taken down. There was a thread that was actually created by A. Hoosier A., Lee Bradbury. A. Hoosier A. posted on Poker Fraud Alert that Maurice owed 22 k And this is also back in 2017. This is back in July 2017, very shortly after this other story broke. And Maurice asked me to take that thread down. He said they resolved it amicably, just like the situation with uh, Garcia. I told him that I would post an update about it being resolved amicably and that it was uh, resolved as a uh, misunderstanding. And this was uh, somebody else again. This was not about uh, this was not about Garcia. This was about a guy named Hal Lewis, who is a lawyer from Tallahassee, Florida. But uh, they put out a statement that it was resolved amicably and was a misunderstanding. So what I said to Maurice at the time was, look, this was reported in a lot of places. I'm not going to take it down, but I will post the update since both parties have been saying in poker media that it was a misunderstanding and resolved amicably, that even though I don't understand how that could be, I will post that and I will link the card player article to this. So anyone who's curious about this and finds this thread that's attached to your name, they can see how it turned out. So I thought that was a good middle ground where there were allegations about him in the thread and then the final post in the thread was from me. And this was uh, a year later, by the way. He contacted me in 2018. 
But uh, I told him, and I did it, that I will make a post about it being resolved amicably and classified as a misunderstanding. I did remark that was a bit weird, but that was all I said, and then linked the card player article that stated that. This is about that Hal Lewis guy who also was going to be suing him. So that was what I told him I would do, and that was that. I never had a personal problem with Maurice Hawkins. I played with him once at the WSOP in 2016. He got moved to my table with a short stack. He didn't last very long. He was uh, talkative. He was pleasant. He was friendly to everybody. I had no issue with him. He, in fact, had a good attitude uh, after busting. He would, didn't walk away pissed off or anything. He just uh, said, you know, nice playing with you guys. Goodbye and left with a smile on his face. So no issue with him and his demeanor at the table. And other than that email he sent me in 2018 to take the thread down, I didn't have any interactions with him. But I kind of got a shady vibe from him. I just kind of felt like he was a hair away from being part of a big scandal. I had no proof or no uh, direct reason to believe this. That was just kind of the vibe I got. Like I just I kind of had a feeling that one day there's going to be a scandal involving him and that was back in 2016 before there was any public allegations. I guess I was right. I guess my feeling was right. But that's been my only interaction with him. He hasn't asked me to take anything down since then. If you notice, he's using these same lines in 2019 about the whole thing about being resolved amicably, blah, blah, blah. So uh, that was back in 2019. And he was using the whole uh, people are just making a big deal out of this because uh, Twitter trolls just love to drag people through the mud. Now, it is true that Twitter trolls love to drag people through the mud. It is true that there are those on poker Twitter who enjoy drama, who enjoy slamming people that are currently in the spotlight for something negative. But that doesn't mean that you didn't do something wrong. That just might mean that some people on Twitter are taking pleasure in it. And he's claiming that Garcia was demanding 30K or he was going to go on Twitter I don't know. I mean, I don't see their conversations, but from what I can see, what Garcia really seems to want is just regular payments. He doesn't want to keep getting excuses. Okay, you know, wait, I'll, when I get the next big tournament score, I'll pay you something. He doesn't want that. He wants regular payments that he can count on that will eventually knock it out. And I've described that before as what is the difference between someone who is serious about paying you back and someone who just wants to use you or is not interested in making things right. The person who says, hey, I'll, I'll get you when I'm back on my feet, usually that's the person who has no intention of ever paying you unless they really do well again. The person who will pay you what they can on a regular basis, they do have the intention to pay you back. And when someone pays you on a regular basis, it adds up quickly. Let's look at this. Let's say somebody sends you $200 a week. That's not a lot of money, but $200 a week multiplied by 52 weeks is more than 10K. Now, if someone owes you more than 100K, that's going to take more than 10 years, but let's say somebody owes you 30K. Well, 200 a week sounds like nothing, but in less than three years, it'll be paid off. So yeah, it's not ideal to have to wait three years to fully get paid, but you'll see it being chipped away at every week, and soon enough, 
the person will be all done paying you back. But usually those that get in these holes, they don't want to do this. So they kind of get this attitude like, well, what's the point in paying part of a debt? You know what? Just If I hit a really big score and I can afford to pay you, I'll pay you. Otherwise, F off. That's usually the way it goes. So I don't believe that Garcia was saying at the time, look, 30K now or I go on Twitter. My guess is that he's saying I, I want to see regular payments or I'm going on Twitter. Now, here's a little twist back in 2019. That's where it was resolved. Or so we thought. And then that will lead us to today's story. Poker News got an email from Garcia in 2019, shortly after he went to them, and they were preparing this article. And they got the comment from Hawkins. They're all ready to publish. And then he emailed, that is, Garcia emailed Poker News and said that he really doesn't want them to run this article. And they're like, what? We put all this effort into putting this together. Chad Holloway was the one who wrote this article, by the way. So very reliable guy, Chad Holloway. Very good reputation. Very good poker reporter. I'm sure you've seen a lot of his work. So Chad Holloway put all this effort into writing this article, and then Garcia's like, no, 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 no. Actually, can you not run this? Because uh, we're about to come to an agreement, and I think this might mess things up. (laughs) So I think that Chad Holloway felt used. Chad Holloway's like, look, you, you can't give this to us to run here which is definitely to help yourself so we can shame Hawkins into paying you. And then I spend all my time researching this and I'm just about to hit the publish button. And then you say, no, 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 because uh, now you feel like he may pay you. Like you shouldn't have brought this to us in the first place if you didn't want us to publish it. So no. So Holloway stood his ground and said, look, I will write that you're recanting it now, but that's it. So what he wrote was, Shortly after texting with Hawkins, Poker News received an email from Garcia, who had already gone on record. Garcia said, asked that this article not be run, as he confirmed he was in the process of reaching an agreement with Hawkins on a reparation plan. In the name of transparency and in the interest of the poker community, Poker News declined Garcia's request, but did offer him the opportunity to add to the official record. My lawsuit against Maurice Hawkins is currently in the process of being amicably resolved, he said. Notice that Hawkins loves the word amicably. So Hawkins must have pressured him, don't let Poker News run this article or I'm not paying you. I mean, that's just my guess, but that's what... I I doubt that Garcia was having a crisis of conscience. I think he was worried that if this ran, that Hawkins would feel like there's no incentive to pay at that point, which isn't true, by the way. When when someone who owes money, who's prominent in poker or semi-prominent in poker, gets outed, then they are more likely to pay you. They will be pissed, but they'll be more likely to pay you because then they're going to really want at that point to have a happy ending to the story. So once everybody knows, then what they want is they want the whole thing to look like it's done and resolved and they can trust you again. But I can see where Garcia kind of felt like he had Hawkins agreeing to finally pay him and he didn't want anything messing it up. But that's tough luck. He he came to Poker News and you can't tell Poker News not to publish it then. So good for them. Good for Chad Holloway for saying no. And apparently Garcia wasn't too bitter about it because he went back to Poker News three years later. And that's where we are today. So remember, in the middle of 2019... This article was published on July 22nd, 2019, shortly after the World Series of Poker concluded. That was when Garcia said, no, 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 please don't publish this. We've amicably resolved this. And Poker News is like, nope, we're publishing this anyway. And they did. So we didn't hear anything about this for three years. And I forgot about it. You probably did too. 
Well, of course, it wasn't that amicable after all. Garcia claims that in these three years, even though he was owed $115,828, that he was only paid about $10,000. And he is quite angry about this. Hawkins actually admitted that he has not paid the 115000 though he claims he's paid about 35000 and uh, provided poker news with receipts showing about uh, 20000 in payments, but it's not clear if those receipts are authentic. He said, I will pay him when I can. I got more things in life to worry about than others' perception of me. Uh-oh, that's not very good. <laughs> So Garcia decided, you know what, even though Poker News ran this other article when I didn't really want them to, I forgive them. I think it's time to speak out again. So Poker News was like, okay, let's hear it. So Chad Holloway went to work and wrote a second article. So Garcia said to Poker News, he's probably paid me back around 10K over four years, all while cashing for well over a million We came to terms with payment plans, agree on it, then we'll pay the first month or two, and then comes the excuses and can't pay anymore. When it comes to paying me back, he has zero respect for me and my family. He couldn't even make an effort to pay me back even $100 a month as a sign of good faith to show some kind of effort, yet he still continues to buy into tournament after tournament. I was there for him personally and professionally when he needed me, but he decided to screw me over again and again, so enough is enough. I don't wish ill will on anyone, as I know he has a family and kids, but so do I. Bottom line is we had a deal and he screwed me over. Maurice has screwed over so many people. He tries to act like a tough guy at the table by constantly talking down and degrading people like he's the best poker player there is. Who cares if he has 14 rings if he's broke? I think the poker community should kick Maurice out as he's a jerk to everyone and he's lied and screwed so many people over. I have backed other players with zero issues because they have integrity and high character. Maurice has neither. So he can continue to hit the circuit and act like he's the best there is and degrade people. Things will catch up to him sooner or later if the court doesn't get him first. Mm. So Garcia's pissed, as you can hear. So what happened here in the past three years? Well, according to court documents that Poker News got to see, I don't know where they got them, but Garcia probably gave them. They entered into an agreement on July 24th, 2019, just two days after that article was published three years ago where Hawkins would pay $2,000 a month plus 15% of any gross winnings that he makes at the tables as a repayment plan. Also, there was a buyout option where Hawkins could pay 72.5% of any remaining balance and would just be done. So it looked like that Garcia was willing to take less money if he would get it into lump sum. So he was either going to be getting 2000 plus 15% of whatever Hawkins is cashing, or Hawkins can save 27.5% right now by just paying the whole thing off minus that 27.5% and they'd just be done and Garcia would eat the rest of it. On August 23rd, 2019, Hawkins finished second place at the Foxwoods $1,700 circuit event, and he got $88,500, and uh, 15% of that would be about 13 k So then Garcia's lawyer 
reached out to Hawkins through an email and wrote, we will look for the payment of 13000 within seven days. You may want to use this opportunity to make a double payment, which will substantially reduce your total obligation. If at least the agreed payment is not received, my client will consider you the you the forbearance agreement and will no longer be bound by any confidentiality restriction. So what he's trying to say there, obviously, is that if you just cashed, so you better ship the 13K. If you don't ship the 13K, then my client, meaning Garcia, can now come out on social media or wherever he wants and talk about the whole thing. Because this agreement they made on July 24th, 2019, had a confidentiality agreement that as long as Hawkins is making his payments, that Garcia will keep quiet about the whole thing beyond what he had already said. And the exact terms of this agreement were not known because that was part of the confidentiality agreement. But the lawyer said that it's right in the contract that if Hawkins misses even one payment, then the confidentiality is off. So then Hawkins actually responded that he didn't really win as much as it appeared because he fired two bullets for 1700 each in the tournament. So 15% of what his actual profit was, was uh, $12,774, not thirteen k. <laughs> you know he's hurting for money there if he's saying wait 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 i don't want to send 13k i want to send twelve thousand seven hundred seventy four dollars because remember i used two bullets to get in there oh my goodness so then on september 1st he emailed this i'm emailing you to inform you that my previous arrangement is not doable with my income and business arrangement. What's doable is 2500 a month to be paid on the first or every month only. Talk this over with your client and draw up the same agreement with the same language as before. Just input you're to be paid 2500 a month. I will pay the 2500 this month and every month following, including the prepayment ability with a discount. If this deal is not paid off, it would take about uh, three years. This is not a negotiation or a ploy. To be clear, I'm trying to pay you what I can. So Hawkins is like, sorry, can't ship the 13K or the 12,700. It's just not doable. How about I just ship 2,500 a month every month, no matter what? How about that? And let's let's redo the agreement where everything's the same, except instead of this thing about uh, sending 2,000 a month plus 15% of what I cash, let, let's just be, make it 2,500 a month flat. So then... The lawyer responded after speaking to Garcia. The lawyer responded as follows. I've spoken with my client. Obviously, he is apoplectic that you keep making then breaking your commitments. You first had an arrangement to pay one half your earnings and didn't follow through. Then you then worked out a payment plan and didn't follow through. We negotiated a post-judgment settlement and you've made over 200 k in earnings but have paid next to nothing. Now you want to return to paying a small no-interest monthly sum. I can only assume that other creditors have threatened your life if you don't pay them first. So here's what my client is willing to do. One, you can pay 10K immediately and then pay 2,500 a month. Both payments are due now. Or you can pay 3K per month with the first payment due now. Let me know today or I've been instructed to move forward with the lawsuit. Please understand that Mr. Garcia is now freed from the confidentiality provisions of the agreement because of your violations. So this is still back in uh, 2019. This is uh, in September 2019. So even though he was freed from the confidentiality agreement, still Garcia didn't say anything for a while. Because remember, this is all coming out now. So then they negotiated further. 
And on September 13th, then the attorney wrote the following to Hawkins. Because of a medical emergency in his family, Randy Garcia has informed me that he's willing to accept $60,000 in full settlement of your judgment. This would save you approximately $55,000, almost half. The settlement funds must be paid immediately given the situation. Mr. Garcia has explicitly stated that he will not entertain any other counteroffers. So Garcia just got tired of the, of the whole payment thing. He just thinks that uh, he's going to be promised these payments that uh, come for a month or two, and then it dies again, and he's got to keep hassling with chasing him. He's just tired of it. So he said, uh, you know what? I, uh, I, I just want 60 k I'll forget the other 55 k Do it now. Otherwise, F it. So then Hawkins wrote back, if I win something in the next week, I will keep this in mind. <laughs> so that I actually understand. I, I doubt that Hawkins had 60 k to pay him at that point. I don't think Hawkins was sitting on a lot of money. I think Hawkins just was perpetually broke. He probably had other people backing him. He probably just doesn't manage money well enough. So I, I think he just is always sitting there broke. And when he wins these tournaments, then he probably has backers to pay. I'm not making excuses for him. I just I believe that he probably could not come up with 60k flat right then. So they kept negotiating, and uh, believe it or not, at one point Garcia was getting so desperate to get anything out of him. He actually offered a 75% discount on the 115K if Hawkins could make that one-time payment. And then Hawkins said, okay, you know what? Let me do it. Let me try to get this money together. But it never happened. So on March 21st, 2022, now we're getting much more recent, of course, Garcia sent an email to Hawkins as follows. You don't even have the respect to contact me and let me know. You don't even have the respect to send me $100 a month or show some kind of good faith. You have zero respect for me and my family. It's been almost four years and you give two shits about me. I will proceed to have my judgment against you enforced and will be sure to let the poker community know. I've had it. You can find the money to continue to play in tournaments and travel, but you can't send me not even a penny. You'll hear from my lawyer and mark my words on this. I will take every measure necessary to continue with the judgment. You are not the tough guy that you portray, and I'll be sure everyone knows this. You have disrespected me for the last time. See you in court. So Garcia basically saying, I'm I'm just going to come after you in every way. I'm going to inform the world about you. I'm going to keep pressing to get this judgment. I'm going to bring you back into court and I'm going to let everybody know that you're not the tough guy you portray to be like he's, he's just really coming at him angrily and I understand now you may wonder why doesn't Hawkins send him a little bit per month if he can afford to travel for these tournaments and enter these tournaments well I have an answer for that one Hawkins is obviously a good player he has 14 circuit rings. He's someone who can easily get backers for that reason, even given the controversies that uh, have come up here. Backers are often quite selfish, and they don't give a crap if other backers got screwed, provided that they're reasonably confident that it won't happen to them. Sometimes they'll show up right then to get the money. Sometimes the backers will be locals to him, and he'll play where they can actually appear there and collect the money from him right when he cashes, so this way he can't screw them. So 
The problem is that these backers will pay for him to travel. They will pay for him to enter these tournaments, but they will not pay for him to ship money to previous backers. So that's where you get this weird situation in poker. And a lot of people just don't get it. A lot of people don't get how can someone owe all this money and be in all these high-stakes events and these high-stakes cash games and how can they win six figures and how can the backer get nothing from the past? Well, this is how. is because in order to keep in action, they need new backers who very explicitly state to them that if you dare dip into the till here and... Uh, pay the previous backers instead of me, I'm not backing you. So to keep in action, what players like Hawkins have to do is uh, just forget about the previous backer until uh, he can get uh, personally on his feet enough to uh, even consider it. And I'm not defending this at all. I'm just saying how this is happening. Now, with that said, could Hawkins afford $100 a month to send to Garcia? Of course he could. So why doesn't he? Well, what would $100 a month do? Very little. I mean, that would take so long to pay back Garcia at that rate that neither of them would live long enough to see that. That's $1,200 a year. It would take like 100 years to pay back almost. So the way Hawkins sees it and the way uh, others who owe money in poker see it is they don't want to only partially satisfy a debt because the way they see it is either money is owed to someone or it's not. So does it really matter if you owe somebody 115000 75000 40000 20000 It doesn't matter. If you don't have the money, you just owe someone more than you can currently pay them. And it doesn't make you feel any better to bring the figure down if you're still owing enough to where it's unlikely you're going to be able to pay back. So that's why he feels like, why should I send $100? That's not going to ever get the whole figure down. Even if it gets reduced by 75%, 100 a month won't get the whole figure down. So why should I bother then? It's not going to get me out of the hole completely to the guy. So why should I bother? That's the way he and other people in his position in poker look at it. And it sucks but that's the way they look at it. They don't look at it like it's the right thing to pay back or I got to at least pay something. They look at, how do I get this monkey off my back? And it always comes down to either I get this monkey completely off my back or I just leave him on my back. I don't want him like a little off my back, but still there. And that's the problem. So until Hawkins feels that he can pay back Garcia and not have it uh, impact his life substantially and that it will be enough to get the entire balance down in a reasonable amount of time, then he apparently just doesn't want to do it. Anyway, after Garcia wrote that email, that angry email to him in March, Hawkins responded, stop with your condescending ass email I go in through shit like everyone else. My intention has always been to pay you. And then he wrote another email a day later saying, by the way, so you can be real clear, you are a piece of shit. <laughs> it's like a day later. It's like, I just want to let you know, you're a piece of shit. Just want to let you know that. No matter how hard you try to destroy me, it's not going to work. So in the immortal words, fuck you.
That was the addendum a day later. Hawkins then commented to Poker News after being informed that a follow-up article was about to be released here in May of 2022. I paid him as I won, and even when I couldn't really afford it. The fact that you writing articles and not really caring what it does to my lifestyle as a whole is truly sad. Trying to make it as a poker player and have a family is hard enough, so my comment is I am greater than anything you could possibly write to destroy me. So I don't like that reasoning on Maurice's part. He's saying to Poker News, I don't like what you're writing about me here because it's making it harder for me to play poker. I'm trying to support my family as a poker player. And if you're going to put out articles saying that I can't pay past backers and I'm breaking agreements, blah, 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 then no one's going to want to back me. And then I'm really not going to be able to pay anyone and I won't be able to support my family. So that's not fair to me. Stop it. And my answer to that is no. If it's true, then it should be written about. The only problem should be is false allegations. If you really have been paying him as promised and Garcia is lying to Poker News and claiming you haven't been, then you have a very legitimate gripe with him and you do have a complaint with Poker News for not looking at your side seriously and seeing that you're the one in the right. But if that's not the case, and it appears not to be the case, then Poker News definitely has a right to present this article to the public, not just as Poker News, but also so anyone else who's thinking of backing you understands what they're getting into. That's only fair. Then, talking about himself in the third person, Maurice Hawkins wrote, Maurice pays his ass when he can. Write the article about a businessman that owns million-dollar restaurants that is trying to end a poker player's staking abilities and future. At the end of the day, he gets to go back home to his stable income while you try to end my career. Mm. So he's saying that uh, Garcia is a rich guy who owns million-dollar restaurants. I don't know if that's true or not. And that he's trying to end Hawkins' ability to get staked and ruin his future. But again, this was his own doing. This really looks like his own doing. Like, he's been given three years, I guess more than three years now, to get on some kind of payment plan, even pay a reduced amount, and for whatever reason, he hasn't. Garcia says he's been paid 10K in those last three years, and Hawkins says 35K, but whatever. It does look like that not much has been paid compared to what was owed. And a lot of deals were broken. So I understand why Garcia's pissed. I understand why he's going public with it. And will it hurt Hawkins' rep? Sure. But that's what happens. The bad truth about somebody will hurt their rep. And that's the way it goes. If you do things that you're not proud of, and then that person tells the world your rep will be hurt and you have yourself to blame, you don't have the person to blame who called it out. Hawkins also wrote, remember there was COVID in between. His ass is a brat and he wants to be the victim. Ask him if he broke the contract between us. As in he stated he would do one thing, but then said his finances had changed. Nobody talks about how the backers are dealing with real people in real lives when they choose to just pull out of deals. Write an article that doesn't just slander, but actually tells the true side. Now, I wonder what he's trying to say there. It might be, it might be that he's claiming that 
Garcia just ended the stake between them when he was in makeup or something and that he wanted his way out of it. I, I, I don't know. He's saying just pull out of deals. It kind of sounds like pulling out of the backing deal. But, I mean, he pulled out of the backing deal because he wasn't paid what was owed to him. Even Hawkins isn't denying that. Garcia told Poker News that he will be pursuing post-judgment collection. So basically, he's going to try to bring Hawkins back into court and have Hawkins answer some questions regarding his income and his assets and all that, which probably isn't anything other than the poker wins. I think really the best chance that Garcia has is to do what Mason Malmuth did. Remember when Mason Malmuth won that 60K judgment against Dutch Boyd for cyber squatting? He noticed that Boyd was making it deep in a World Series tournament, and he actually had his lawyers quickly prepare paperwork to withhold 60K from whatever Dutch Boyd wins. And he was successful. He got it done in time, and indeed 60K was held, and Mason got it. So when you're dealing with poker tournament players, it's a lot easier than collecting from cash players. Because if you see someone playing cash, you're not going to be able to be quick enough to get a lawyer to draw up an order to have this money seized off the table. And that's pretty difficult to do, even if your lawyer is around to do it. I'm not even sure the mechanism that could be done there. But tournaments are a different story. So with a poker tournament, if you notice someone's running deep, you can get your lawyer to prepare the paperwork very quickly and get whatever they cash withheld even if they have backers. So I believe that would be a way that Garcia could collect without having to worry about the backer situation. And yeah, some other more recent backer will get screwed, but that's not Garcia's problem. So maybe that's what he means by pursuing post-judgment collection. But I'm sure we'll hear about it if he does collect that way. So that's the current state of things between Maurice Hawkins and Randy Garcia. I'm very much on Garcia's side on this matter. I totally see why he's frustrated. It does look like that he has been trying to give Hawkins various ways out of this to pay less, even as much as 75% less, and to go on payment plans. And It looks like he's tried to make it doable, and it just isn't happening. I think that Hawkins has a gambling problem from what I can see. It kind of seems like when he does cash and when he is given money out of whatever uh, he won from the backer, he blows it in some way, maybe at the pits or whatever it might be. Just one of these guys in poker that no matter how well they do, they always seem to be broke. And then they start having a, a tough time giving money to backers, especially when there's a large figure involved. and It just seems so oppressive. They think they're never going to get there. I think some of the other issue comes from like these lump sum demands, like give me this much now and I'll forgive the rest. I think whenever Garcia is making these demands, Hawkins doesn't have it. Then Hawkins says, well, let me wait to cash in my next big event. And Garcia says, F you, give it now or you're not getting it. And Hawkins says, well, I don't have it. And Garcia says, F you, which like, I understand it on both ends there. But maybe Garcia has made that offer like, Next time you cash more than X amount of money, 
give me this much and we'll just be done and I'll eat the rest. And then Hawkins just doesn't do it. But maybe Hawkins isn't enough makeup to his backers or he gets a small enough percentage, whatever it might be. Maybe even with a score like 88K, he still doesn't have enough to pay in the lump sum what Garcia is demanding. But I think Garcia is just trying to get whatever he can here. So I think he's been pretty flexible. I think if, like, let's say Hawkins said, look, truth is I don't get that much. I'm in makeup. I have a deal with a backer, who, which, which isn't very favorable to me because my reputation's been hurt. So I really don't get very much whenever I cash anything. So I'm not going to be able to ever give you the lump sum you're looking for. So how about I give you such and such minimum whenever I cash more than whatever? And we'll start knocking it out that way. I bet Garcia would say fine. Like as long as he gets something. I think Garcia just wants to know he's getting something if X or Y happens. And he hasn't been. Pretty bad situation. Looks like it's just getting worse. So we will see what further drama comes from this. All right, so we're going to move on. Time to talk about me again. Get away from talking about me for two topics. We're going to go back to talking about me. This is about Bet Online and my experience with them recently. So I get a lot of emails from Bet Online about different promotions they have, and some interest me, some don't, some moderately interest me. Like a lot of these, you just don't have very good odds to win. It's just not worth my time doing, or yeah, I have to make some kind of picks on on something where. I'll be against thousands of people, and if I get really lucky, I'll be the winner. Like, I usually don't bother with those. But every so often, I would play in these blackjack tournaments they would have. Because I I know how to do blackjack tournaments pretty well. And I figure I have a pretty good edge on the field there, and I don't have to pay anything to enter them. So I wait for these uh, blackjack tournament promos, and I, I don't enter them every time. But occasionally I will enter one. So this past week I did. And they had a special $148,000 blackjack tournament where anyone who got this email got a free entry, which I think was just about everybody in the site. And here is how the blackjack tournament was described. So it says $148,000 blackjack tournament. Grab yourself a mint julep and celebrate the running of the 148th Kentucky Derby all weekend long with a free entry to our $148,000 blackjack tournament. Running from Thursday, May 5th at 5 p.m. Eastern to Monday, May 9th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern, take advantage of unlimited $10 rebuys to increase your chances at one of 500 prizes, including $5,000 for first place. Sounds pretty good, right? I mean, there's going to be a lot of competition, but they're giving away 500 prizes, totaling 148000 The best prize is going to be $5,000. And then if you go take a look at the structure, it actually is uh, a lot more than 5000 I don't know why they put 5000 on their main page about it, but the actual top prize, or actually, the, sorry, it was a misprint. It said 50000 I think it is 5000 <laughs> That's pretty dumb. I just noticed that now. That it's his first fifty thousand, but I think they meant five thousand because everything else is like with a dollar sign in front of it that just says fifty thousand. So I think they mistyped. I'll assume it's five thousand. That makes sense. But it's five thousand for first, uh, probably. Then uh, thirty five hundred for second, twenty seven fifty for third, 
2250 for fourth, 2000 for fifth, 1000 for sixth through tenth, 750 for 11th through 50th, 500 for 51st through 100th, 400 for 101st through 150th, 300 for 151st to 200th, $200 for 201st through 300th, $100 for 301st to 400th, and $75 for the final 100 spots through 500th. What do you notice from that prize distribution, assuming that first place really is 5000 and not 50000 which I believe it is? Assuming that, what do you notice there? It's that you don't have to really worry about finishing in the top spots. Yeah, 5000 is better than 750 right? But it's not like many orders of magnitude better. So first place is 5000 Fifth is only 2000 And yet 50th is 750 Only a little bit less than fifth place. So that's unusual. Like poker tournaments, 50th place is going to get a fraction of what fifth place would get. But here, 50th gets close to half of what fifth place would get. And gets 75% of what sixth place would get, which is even more significant. So I realized pretty quickly that I didn't have to knock myself out to get to the top five spots. Now, when I say knock myself out, I don't really mean effort-wise. I mean luck-wise. Because you start with 250 in tournament chips. This is not real money. You can't cash it out. These are tournament chips like you would have in a poker tournament. And you either run them up or you chunk them off. And once you chunk off down to zero, you're out of the tournament, much like a poker tournament. Except unlike a poker tournament where you have to keep playing until you either have all the chips or get knocked out, here you can quit any time. You could even quit with your initial 250. You'll never end up winning, but you could quit with your initial 250 if you want it. So in these type of tournaments, there's different types of uh, strategies for blackjack tournaments. In this type of tournament with a massive field, you need to be aggressive. You cannot just sit there and kind of tread water. Where some of these other tournaments where you have to like win your own table, there are blackjack tournaments where the goal is to win the table with you and six others, or you and five others. There, you really should seek to tread water unless someone is doing well and just let everyone else hang themselves. And that's uh, something a lot of people don't realize when they play that type of uh, blackjack tournament. That type is uh, very common like on cruise ships. But this type of tournament where there's a leaderboard and it's thousands of people playing, there, treading water is not going to do you much good. So the strategy there is you have to immediately start out being aggressive. Yep. So you got to just immediately start betting fairly big. Now, you don't want to bet like all 250 in the first hand because you screw yourself odds-wise because then you can't double or split. And that's uh, a big part of what helps your odds in blackjack. You're you're never going to be positive expectation. You're always going to be negative expectation because you can't count cards in this because they shuffle like every hand. But as far as getting yourself closest to zero expectation meaning breaking even to where if you run well, you'll uh, you'll win money. You don't want to give up things like doubling and splitting. So you don't want to uh, bet the whole 250, but you've got to 
bet pretty aggressively. So I started off betting 100. Then the plan from there is if you win, you fairly aggressively move up your bets. Now, there is a limit here because the most you can bet is 500. Now, you can double or split that 500 and make it more, but uh, your base bet cannot be more than 500 in this contest. So that that is one wrinkle to the whole thing. But basically, you, you just keep playing until you feel like quitting. And then wherever you are, you are on the leaderboard. Now, if you bust, then that's it. And then you have to pay $10 in real money to rebuy. Remember, I got a free entry here. So I started doing well at the beginning. And I ran it up to 3400 from 250 It's pretty good, right? 250 up to 3400 So where did that put me on the leaderboard? Well, surprisingly to some of you, that put me in the 30s. And this was near the end of the tournament. There's no point to play at the beginning. You want to see where you stand against other people. So it's a big disadvantage to play at the beginning. So whenever you're playing any kind of gambling tournament with a leaderboard, you should always play at the end so you see where you're standing. So I played not in the final hour, but I played in the final few hours. So I had a very good idea of where I'd be. So at 3,400, I was like at 38th place. And I was happy enough with that because remember the payout structure is very flat. So 38th place, if I were to stay there or even drop down to 50th, I would get 750. But let's say in the final few hours, more than 12 people got ahead of me. And remember, some who were presently ahead of me could fall back because they could keep pressing and lose. But let's say I I fell 13 back and ended up at 51st. Well, I would only fall down to 500. And then as long as I stayed 100th place or better, I would get a minimum of 500. And I knew it was very unlikely at that point that I'd fall from 38th to worse than 100 because there wasn't that much time left. Furthermore, even if by some fluke I did, then I would get 400. So that's not the end of the world either. So the thing was so flat, I didn't have to even worry about slipping. So I quit. And I said, okay, I'm done. Whatever I get, I get. But I think I'm going to get 750. But at worst, I'm going to get 500. So just before closing the whole thing, I said, wait a minute. Let me make sure that there is no ridiculous rollover requirement. There, There probably is something, but hopefully it's not that bad, I thought. So I quickly went to go read the terms as I quit. And boy, was I disappointed. So let me tell you about these terms. Now, in their defense, they did disclose the terms if you wanted to go read them. It wasn't like right out there, but if you were to click through to read the terms, then you would see it. So I will say that they didn't pull any uh, shenanigans with changing the terms or hiding the terms, but Listen how bad the terms are, and you'll see why I'm so frustrated. So first of all, there is a 50 times rollover. What that means, in case you don't know, is that whatever you win in this, which I thought was going to be 750, you have to bet 50 times that before you can cash out that 750. And if you lose that 750 while trying to bet 50 times that, then you don't get anything. So it's pretty tough to roll it over 50 times. But I thought, okay, you know, I bet sports a lot on there, and it adds up. So I'm a pretty active Major League Baseball better. I bet on two games tonight. 
And I figure that, yeah, even with a 50 times rollover, I'll get there. But no, I couldn't roll it over through sports. In fact, I couldn't even roll it over through blackjack the way I won it. And by the way, I did end up winning that 750. So that did hold. I ended up 30-something place, like where I quit, and I got paid the 750. Great. But listen to these terms of the rollover. So first of all, 50 times rollover for 750 is 37,500. But hold on, much worse than that. Any table game, meaning basically any casino game that uh, you could possibly be familiar with, talking like blackjack or roulette or craps, any table game that you would know has 5% credit towards rollover. (laughs) What do I mean by that? I mean that rollover means the amount you're betting to clear this 37,500 requirement. So if it were to be 100% rollover, then when I would bet $100 at blackjack, I would get credit for $100 towards that 37,500 rollover. But no, at blackjack there and craps and roulette and basically any other table game except for two crappy table games there, you get 5% rollover meaning that you're getting 120th of the credit for whatever you're betting. Or very simply put, if I were to try to roll it over at blackjack, I would have to bet $750,000 to clear my $750 prize. Now, what would happen if I were to be starting with a bankroll of $750,000 and I have to bet through $750,000 worth of bets. That doesn't mean I have to bet $750,000 in one hand, obviously, but I have to make bets that add up to $750,000 over time to get the seven hundred fifty out. What would happen to me if I can't count cards because they were shuffling every hand? Well, I would lose, right? Because the house edge would eat my $750 by the time I would bet that much. There's no way I could get to betting $750,000 with uh, the house edge being the way it is. But maybe you'll think, wait a minute, though. That's if you flat bet. But what if you start getting aggressive with your betting again and try to run up the 750, and this way you can clear everything a lot faster. You can start making bets for thousands of dollars if you run it up to that from the 750. Because this is all like bonus money, so I'm not ever betting real money here. But what if I run my 750 bonus dollars to like tens of thousands of bonus dollars and then I can clear the 750,000 in not too long if I get that lucky. I mean, yeah, I'll probably bust it when trying, but at least I have a fighting chance there if I'm going to use an aggressive betting scheme to do it. Be aggressive. Be aggressive. Well, it's not going to work. Why? Because they have very low betting limits. The most you can bet on the blackjack at the special tables they have to clear this bonus is $200. (laughs) Yeah. So to clear $750,000 of rollover, I'd have to do it at $200 per hand. No chance I would get there without losing. No chance. So forget that. So the only games that you could play 
that would get you more than 20% rollover credit, which is still terrible, were a selection of slot machines. Not just any slot machines on there. The only ones that they have allowed you to play to clear the bonus. So I thought, all right, well, slots have a very high hold percentage of the casinos. Again, my only chance to roll over this 37500 is to play high-stakes slots with this 750 that I have and try to bet aggressively and hope to run it up with some early slot hits, and then maybe I can clear it. No, you can't because none of these slots allow you to bet at high stakes either. <laughs> now, to be clear, there are high stakes slots on Bet Online, but for these bonus games that to run the bonus money, they're not. None of them allow you to bet at high stakes. Nor do any of the slots allow you to hit some kind of fluke big jackpot that would give you enough of a bankroll to clear the 37500 that I have to clear. So I can't even run slots and hope that I hit something like a 40k jackpot there, which then I, I wouldn't have trouble clearing because I would have so much of a bonus bankroll to do that I could easily run the 37500 coin in, even with a bad return. No. So that's also another way there's no way I'm going to be able to clear this without busting. Now, what if by some absolute miracle you clear the rollover and then you happen to have a lot of bonus money left? So let's say instead of just spinning your wheels and staying the same 750, let's say in the process of rolling over, not only don't you bust, let's say somehow you get on a lucky run and you finish with uh, $6,000. Does that mean you can keep $6,000? No. They had a rule that the most you can keep after completing your rollover, is double what prize you originally awarded. (laughs) That's also insane. So if by some miracle you clear the rollover and win while doing it, you only get to keep double your original stake. You get to basically uh, win what you originally had plus that again, no matter what you win gambling. So you're you're not even really gambling to win additional money. Because once you've uh, doubled your initial stake, uh, that's the most you can keep, no matter what you finish with. You can, you can finish with a million bucks. If you start with 750, they're going to give you 1500 and take the rest. Does that sound like a good promo? No. Horrible. Horrible. I'm like, there's no way to clear it. I, I determined there's just about no way mathematically to clear this. This 37,500, there was no way to clear it without getting grinded down through the house edge because you couldn't bet at high enough stakes to prevent that. If you're betting at low or fairly low stakes compared to what you have to clear, then what you're doing is you're smoothing out variance. You're making it to where you're not going to be able to have luck save you. Even if you run above expectation, you're not going to be that much above expectation because you're running so many hands that it's going to smooth out. So the only way you would normally be able to do that is by either raising the stakes you're betting, which they're not letting you, or hitting some kind of jackpot, which they're not letting you. So this was awful. Now, someone on Twitter pointed out that there was a machine there. This is after I already attempted to run it and failed, of course. Someone pointed out there was one machine there called Quest for the West, which was a semi-exception to this. This is a slot machine. 
because Quest for the West did have a jackpot where you could win like 1200 your initial bet, and no other machine there from what I'd seen had that. I don't know why they let you use that one, but that guy figured this out at some point in a previous blackjack tournament he entered, and he said he's done a ton of these with Bet Online. But even using Quest for the West, he said that about 3% of the time, he ended up clearing it. <laughs> so even like one of the few guys who figured out the very best way to clear it still only clears it 3% of the time, which is insane. Everybody else probably got nothing. So I am guessing of this $148,000 they awarded in bonus money, this $148,000 tournament that they gave away for free that people also paid ten dollars in real money to enter if they busted the first time if they wanted to i believe that hundred forty eight thousand dollar tournament ended up yielding zero point zero or very close to it can you believe that like that's like a scam it's not a scam in that it steals anyone's money because i didn't pay anything to enter this but it wasted my time it was misleading and it's annoying. Now, I can understand them wanting some rollover here. I know that I'm not just entitled to free money because I feel like getting free money. I understand that the terms are whatever they make them on a free contest, but at least make it something to where you have a fighting chance to be able to walk away with something. And if they don't want to do that, then don't run a contest. And I don't see how this is of any value to them marketing-wise because it just pisses people off because they realize very quickly they're not going to be able to do this. If you have to roll over 37500 to get your 750 and you have to do it at slots without really having to play like 20 times that at blackjack, which no one's going to want to do. So if all you can really do is run it through slots and you maybe get 5% of the way there before you bust you realize you weren't even close to clearing the rollover. It doesn't take a very sophisticated or smart person to realize they've been had, to realize that the 750 they thought they won, they didn't win. And it's very disappointing because you think you've won it. You say, oh, cool. I just won $750 in a blackjack tournament. And then, no, you didn't. You got nothing. And you realize that you basically had no chance to get anything. The whole way it was a lie. And it's much better to never have been awarded it than to get it and then realize that it's not really going to be money you ever see. It'd be like me giving away a prize on this show where you win 750 bucks, and then I just say, you know what, uh, unless you happen to see me walking around on a Thursday between 2 and 3 a.m., in the city limits of Bakersfield, California, then you're not going to be able to collect the money. Well, very unlikely you'd be able to see me in Bakersfield, California between uh, 2 and 3 a.m. on a Thursday. So you'd never get your money, right? So what if I told you that that was the terms? What if I technically printed it somewhere on Poker Fraud Alert so it wasn't uh, something I didn't say in advance, but let's just say I said, go go check the terms here, and then you play, you win, and then you go back and look and see that was the term. You'd be pissed. You'd feel like I uh, fucked with your head there by awarding you a prize there's no way you'll collect. Well, that, that's the way it is here. They're awarding people $148,000 worth of prizes that they will never collect. Now, what would be a more fair promotion if they want to have rollover attached to it? Because remember, they're not just doing this to be nice. This is not a charity. 
they're doing this to try to get customers. They're doing it for a few reasons. Number one, to get you more excited about betting on bet online. Number two, getting people who lose a lot on there to feel like they finally won something. Number three, to get people more into the slots they're offering. So maybe you'll play these slots to clear it and go, oh, that was kind of fun. Okay, you know what? I'm gonna play this. I'll play this slot again for real money now. Like they're hoping to introduce you to games you otherwise might not have tried. So I understand that these are promotions to advance their business interests and not to give me free things. I understand that. But this was just a total lie. You can't give me $750 and then there's like no way to actually clear it to real money. That is pretty bad. And a fair way for them to have done this is just to attach this to real money betting that people can do on bet online. Even if you make the rollover pretty high. So let's say they said, okay, it's a 100 times rollover, but it can be anywhere on bet online. It can be by playing poker and generating that through rake. It can be sports betting. It can be betting in our casino, whatever it is. But whatever you do here will count towards that 100 times rollover. So yeah, it's going to take a while for me to roll over 75,000, which is what it would have been if it was 100 times on 750. But okay, I would probably generate $75,000 worth of sports bets after some time. I'd eventually clear it and get my 750. And in the meantime, they will have gotten a lot of action out of me. And it's not like they don't have real promos there. Like, they have deposit promos all the time where you get more than 750 I've had deposit promos on there before where I deposit 1000 they give me 2000 And yeah, I have to do like a 25 times, 30 times rollover. But once I do that, the money's mine. As long as I don't lose it. Sometimes I do lose it if I don't run well betting sports. But provided I break even or win or at least don't lose it all, then I will get to keep that $1,000 bonus as real cash after I've completed that rollover. So that's like a legit promotion. But what isn't a legit promotion is one where there really is just about no way to walk away with it, and that even the guy who figured out how to do it optimally has a 3% success rate. 3%, and only because he found the one machine there that had some form of a jackpot. I mean, is this a joke or what? So very unethical on the part of Bet Online to offer this. And I had some people saying, well, look, they stated that in their terms. Why are you bitching? Because this is stupid. It's bullshit. It's a bad look. It's dishonest. I don't care if it's technically printed in the terms. Don't give away 148,000 fake dollars that no one's going to be able to cash out. That is not a contest in any kind of good faith. So I'm not looking for free money. Well, okay. I am looking for free money. I mean, of course I'm looking for free money. But still, if you're going to offer free money, then really offer free money. And if you're not going to offer free money, then don't. But don't say you're offering free money and not give me the free money. All right, rant over. Let's move on here. 775 fraud 55 is the number if you'd like to text me tonight or call into the show. A text from 773 saying they want the cap to be fitted. Well, they're going to be the same 
caps as last time. I said fitted, and then I took that back because I misused the term. But it's not going to be a snapback cap. It's not one of these things where you have that plastic thing on the back where you can adjust the size by by snapping the plastic. It's not going to be one like that. It's not going to be a trucker cap. It's just going to be a regular cap that doesn't have any of that stuff. Let me move on to the next topic here. Kind of lost track of time here. Kind of lost track of time. Oh, did you now? You lost track of time. I'll tell you what time it is. It is time for Druffy Time Theater. This is when Dandruff goes and uh, reaches into the deep trenches of his mind and says, uh, What mundane story can I tell you from my past that um, anyone else would say, You know what? We don't feel like hearing this, but uh, he forces you as a captive audience to listen because uh, I guess you could skip it if in the archives. If you're unfortunate enough to be listening live, then uh, you're just going to have to tolerate it until he's done with this... Uh, trip down memory lane. On with it. Thank you, Colonel Fabersham. This is Druffy Time Theater, where I tell you stories from my past, sometimes the distant past, sometimes the recent past. Somehow a popular segment here. Somehow people like it. I I wasn't sure how this would be taken, Druffy Time Theater. Because there are those who criticize when I post stories on the forum or tell stories on this show from the past. They say, get over it. Live in the present. Stop being like Al Bundy talking about throwing the football back in his college days. This It's not 1990 anymore. It's time to stop talking about those days. And uh, also, most of the show is older like I am. So does anyone really, really feel like hearing about stories from when I was 19? The answer is surprisingly yes, so I'm going to tell you one. And we are going to go back a ways this time. Some of these stories are fairly recent, but this one is not. This one is an older story. And I know I've told a lot of older stories on this show from when I was much younger, and I had to make sure that before I came up with a story to tell tonight, it was not one I had told before on the show. And it's getting tough because the show's been going on for 10 years, and even though we haven't had druffy time theater for 10 years i have just kind of told stories over time so i'm going to run out of things you know there's only so many things that happened in my life that are worth telling and eventually it's all going to be gone but i did come up with something that i don't think i've ever told on the show or even posted on the forum maybe i'm wrong because sometimes i forget what i say and I've posted a lot, and I've spoken a lot. On the, I've spoken for thousands and thousands of hours on this show. So maybe I've said this before. And you can let me know if I have, but I don't think I have. This is from early 1991. This is more than 31 years ago. And I was in college in my first year. And I was uh, kind of in a slump regarding uh, dating, and this is what I found as a like 18, 19 year old is I found that was, these were like the worst years for a guy to be dating. And you may think, well, why? You know, you're young, you're fairly good looking then, you know, why should this be one of the tougher years? And why is it even tougher than when you were like 17? Well, I'll tell you why, because now you're no longer in high school. So there's no one who's younger than you. So you're like the youngest year there. And uh, all the girls there are either your age or older. So 
The girls your age who like guys a few years older, you're screwed with them. You have no chance. The girls older than you that don't like younger guys, which is most of them, most of them don't want to date a dude who's younger than they are. You're screwed with them. You have no shot. So you really only have exposure as far as girls who will date you to ones who are your age who like guys their own age. You're already losing a lot of them there. So it's tougher than like when you were a senior in high school. You know, maybe you could date uh, another senior, a junior, a sophomore. Here, here you're just, you know, you're a freshman in college and you're really limited to other freshmen there. And remember, this is in the early 90s. So you can't just go on the internet and meet someone that easily. Like, yeah, there, I was on computer bulletin boards then and I, I did that somewhat. But I'm like, as far as meeting girls at school there, that was already a handicap I was facing and it was kind of a pain in the ass. So uh, I, I was kind of in a little bit of a, a dry spell, so to speak, with dating. It was getting frustrating. But there was a way out, it looked like, maybe. So I would uh, go to the dining commons twice a day. I lived in the dorms. The dining commons was the cafeteria-style uh, dining hall where you get your food, and it's prepaid. So you just go in there and get it. You don't pay anything because it's already been paid. And I would go usually for lunch and dinner. I didn't get breakfast because I would wake up as late as I could right before class and also, I'm not that hungry when I wake up. I wasn't then. I'm still not right when I wake up. So I really wouldn't have an appetite for breakfast anyway. So I would go for lunch and dinner. And something I found that was annoying, and I know I've talked about this part before, was that they would run out of stuff towards the end. And at dinner, this was a big problem because they had early dinner hours, which I never understood because you know college students tend to stay up late. And yet two of the Dining Commons closed at 6.30, and the third closed at 7. And when I say closed, I mean that was when they would like shut down and, and close all the hot food. You could stay there and finish what you got, but as far as getting anything new af- after the closing time, you couldn't expect anything to be there. So I always found that annoying because I stayed up late, and I didn't want to have my last meal at 6.30 or 7. But that was the way it was. Those were their hours, and what could I do? So... I would go in towards the end, again, not to be an asshole or an ingrate, but because I wanted to eat as late as possible because I stayed up late. Well, they had a problem where they just uh, would run out of things. So you'd come in at 6.15 at the place that closes at uh, 6.30, and a lot of stuff would already be gone, which they shouldn't let happen because you're paying the same thing as someone who came in at, at 4.45 when they opened. So why should you get less? They should really stock enough for having enough for everybody to eat the entire time and that was always an irritant to me and i ended up making a big deal about that later on but that's not what this story is about i've told that story before i'm not going to tell it again but the one that was open to seven that one was where i went probably the most often just because it had the latest hours and uh they also had the same issue with running out of things and uh, when i would get to the front of the line and when there'd be a lot that would be out I would start making kind of like sarcastic comments. Probably wasn't the best way to handle it, but you know, I was 18, 19 years old, and uh, that was the way I chose to handle it then. Probably came off as a bit of an asshole, but uh, at the same time, like I, I had a point. I probably didn't present it in the most uh, polite way, but I had a point that this shouldn't have been happening. Like I still agree with that part today. 
Well, some people there didn't appreciate it very much who worked there, but there was one person who did. There was one person who kind of laughed at it, and I could tell wasn't laughing like at me, was kind of laughing with me. Like She kind of agreed, even though she worked there. She couldn't directly say it, but I could tell she was enjoying it. And I, when I started noticing this, this is one of the workers there who I frequently encountered when I would go through the line there, I, I started coming up with new things to say in anticipation of her laughing at it. And it was kind of like a little game. Like she, at, at first, she kind of like pretended to be dreading for me to come up, but I could tell it was kind of an act. I could tell she was like actually enjoying my remarks every time. So I would come up with something new and creative to say each time once I noticed this. And so I'd go to the front, and she'd go, oh, no, look who's here. And I'd say something. And we kind of developed a rapport that way. And she was pretty. I wasn't sure if she was older than me or not. She wasn't way older. She was either my age or a year older. I couldn't tell. And as the school year wore on, I started to notice that she seemed genuinely happy to see me in the line. Like a big smile would come over her face when she'd see me in the line and that I'd be coming near the front. And I started thinking, well, maybe I'm just providing her entertainment on the job, which is otherwise pretty boring. But... I started being more realistic about it. I started looking at the way she was reacting and just, I really got the vibe that she liked me, that she didn't want to say that, but I I got the vibe that she actually uh, developed an attraction to me and that she thought I was funny and she thought I was entertaining and that uh, maybe she was attracted to me physically. I, I, I thought that maybe I should ask her out, but how? How do I do this? Because... My whole gimmick there was going to the front and and saying something uh, snarky and sarcastic about the food being out. How how do I transition that to, hey, would you like to go out Friday night? Especially with all these people surrounding me in line. So I was trying to think, how do I do this? How do I do this? And do I want to do this? Because, like, what if I misread this whole thing? What if it it turns out that she wasn't interested in me at all and then laughs in my face when this guy who's always uh, criticizing the food has the nerve to ask one of these employees that he's been remarking about this about and hassling about, he has the nerve to ask her out, and she finally has the ability to laugh at him. I got the impression that she was enjoying all of this and that she liked me. I just had to figure out a way to ask her out. It just kind of felt weird. So I thought, okay, what I will do is, since I come in towards the end anyway, I will just hang around there a little longer, take a little longer to eat, wait till most of the students exit, And then she'll still be around there as an employee because they have to stay around and help clean and whatever. And then when there is not a big crowd of people around, I'll walk up to her and say, you know, would you, can you give me your phone number? Would you like to go out somewhere on Friday or whatever? You know, like that was my plan. But every time that I found the opportunity to do that, I chickened out. And it wasn't like I was afraid to ask a girl out. I had gone out with plenty of other girls by that point in my life. I'd been dating since I was 17. Here I was 19. But it just felt weird under the circumstance. I was still kind of afraid that since our only interactions were jokes about the food being out, that she was not going to take me seriously and was going to make some sort of uh, nasty comment and laugh at me if I asked her out. So every time I came close to doing it, I backed away. One time I even went up to her, and then before I could ask, I just made some joke and walked away again, and then was mad at myself for not asking. 
Well, one day I'm sitting there and it's uh, pretty late in the meal. Most people have left already. I'm sitting by myself. I wasn't always by myself. Sometimes I went with a friend there, but on this particular night I was by myself and a girl comes and sits next to me, but not this one and not even an employee, but another student who I'd never seen before who just plops herself next to me. And, and she was pretty, this girl. She wasn't like gorgeous, but she was pretty. This this one who sat next to me. Never saw her in my life. Had no idea who she was. She could have sat anywhere, but she sits right next to me. And I'm like, what the fuck? You know, who is this? <laughs> Why is she sitting right next to me? Like, does this mean something? So, I, like, I'm thinking about, like, making conversation with this girl who sat next to me. Like, obviously, there's a reason she went and sat right next to me. And uh, so, I'm all ready to kind of figure out the deal with this girl who sat right next to me. And then who do I see cleaning at the next table? Is that employee there? Well, all of a sudden, I just ignore the girl who sat next to me, who, by the way, had already tried to start making conversation. But as soon as I see who's cleaning the next table over there, I just start ignoring the one who sat next to me. And uh, I get her attention. I think she said something to me first, but then I we, we banter back and forth. Well, by this point, the girl who sat next to me kind of got the idea that she wasn't going to get anywhere with me, and she quickly finished her meal and left. And then I kind of felt dumb. But I thought, okay, well, I kind of mishandled that, but still, I'm still alive with the one I liked in the first place. Like, I don't know who this random was who sat next to me, and yeah, I would have liked to have gotten to know her, and it looks like she sat next to me for a reason, but okay. I kind of messed that up, but, uh, you know, it's still got the worker here I've been interested in for, for, you know, like two months now. Let me see, you know, maybe this helped out our little banter when she's cleaning the table. I still couldn't bring myself to ask her out, though. I think she kind of, like, finished cleaning and walked off before I could say anything. So I got back to my dorm room, and I was kind of just kicking myself for that whole evening, the way I messed that up. First, the girl who sat next to me, and then the one who worked there. I couldn't even ask her out after that whole thing. And I'm just frustrated. I go, when am I going to ever do it? My roommate comes back. Now, my roommate worked in that particular dining commons. He knew this girl I liked there. They weren't like close friends, but he knew her. And I thought, wait a minute, why don't I just tell him? Like, why, why don't I just open up to him about what's going on? So I did. So I, I told him that I like this one girl there. I told him her name. I don't remember her name anymore, but whatever it was, I told him her name. And I uh, told him the story. And I asked him if he knew her. He said he doesn't really know her that well, but yeah, she seems pretty nice. And uh, he says, you know, I, I could get her phone number for you because we have a employee directory here. I can just give you her number. And in fact, she had actually left a message on my machine once, not calling for me, but calling for him. And I don't think she even knew this was my number, but she'd been calling for him. And it was my voice on the answer machine. And I even had like a funny message, which she laughed at it. Like, like right when the beep came, she laughed and then left the message for him. And I, I knew who she was, but uh, I don't think she knew that it was me on the machine. But anyway, like she had his number, which was also my number, and he had hers from work. And he said, he can just give it to me. And he said, maybe you should just call her. And I'm like, I don't know. That seems weird. Like, we don't have any kind of social relationship, me and her. We we just kind of banter in the in the commons there. If I just come up with her number and call her, it's going to seem real weird, right? He says, oh, I don't know. If she likes you, she'll probably be happy to hear from you. I go, I, yeah, but what if she doesn't? It's going to be, like, so creepy. So I was really hesitant to make this call. 
And I wasn't going to. I just didn't want to come off like a creep like this. It just calls her out of the blue. I, I felt that was like much worse than asking her out while I'm there, which is kind of more normal. Then I came up with an idea. I went to my roommate and I said, do you mind if I say that you suggested that I call her because I kind of got to know her at the comments and thought she was pretty cool and like to talk to her and that you suggested I call her and just gave me the number, right? Are you willing to take credit for that? Because if I could kind of put it on him like he suggested it, it makes me look less creepy, even if she doesn't really welcome the call. So he said, yes, go ahead. So I thought, okay, good. All right. Now I just got to get up the nerve to do it because it's still going to be kind of awkward. Like, how do I even start out? But one night, not too long from then, maybe a few days later, I worked up the nerve and picked up the phone. For some reason, I was feeling cold. It was not a cold day. It was winter, but it wasn't, like, it wasn't cold in the room. I, I wasn't getting why I was cold, but I assumed I was cold because I was nervous. Because I was nervous. And I picked up the phone, and I made the call. And I was bracing for her just laughing at me and hanging up. I was bracing for the worse. And so I dialed the number. And she answered. So I said something I thought would be funny to start the call. Quickly told her who I was. And then I dropped the little awkward explanation about the roommate. And I was waiting for her to act very kind of shocked and put off and creeped out. But no. Her voice perked up. She sounded happy to hear from me. And she just started talking. And we had a very nice conversation for about 45 minutes. It was going great. There was nothing awkward about it at all. All the fears I had about me just calling her out of the blue when we had no interaction ever outside the dining commons and I never even asked for her number. All that was out the window. It was very clear that she was happy to have heard from me. And I was so close to asking her out for that upcoming weekend. Then I said something about how I've got to be up early the next day for my computer science class. And all of a sudden, the warmth in her voice disappeared. And she said, oh, wait, you're not one of those computer guys, are you? And I said, uh, well, yeah. She's like, wait, so you're like one of these guys that's like to spend a lot of time on their computer? I go, well, yeah, that's why I'm majoring in computer science. Oh, she said, yeah, um, I don't know why people like doing that. And she, all of a sudden, she like the warmth was all gone. The levity was gone. It sounded like the whole time up till then, she was smiling while talking to me. It sounded like she was now frowning. And I thought, is she really judging me for being a computer science major? Yes. For some reason, that was really, really off-putting to her that she was talking to a computer nerd. Same guy that she saw all those months in the dining commons. Must have at least been, you know, at least somewhat attracted to me physically and liked my personality and she was enjoying the phone call. And I could tell, even at that age, I could tell when uh, a girl was enjoying talking to him and when she wasn't. And she was enjoying it very much right up until that point. And then bang, it was like a switch went off. And 
I could not believe it. She, I, I asked her for clarification, and yeah, she was actually judging me. She said so. She didn't like guys into computers, she said. Couldn't really explain it, but she just didn't like that. It turned her off. This was especially surprising because this girl seemed smart. That was kind of what I liked about her. Like she, she, she didn't take the whole dining comments thing too seriously. She seemed like she had a brain. So I would have thought she'd been impressed by that more than anything else. Like I would have thought it was either neutral or something that was positive. But she was actually looking down on me for being into computers. And it's not like I was sitting here talking about computers for 45 minutes. In fact, it was the opposite. It was why the conversation went so well for 45 minutes is because I didn't mention computers. Not on purpose, but just I, I didn't mention that. I, I don't know what I talked about then, but I went 45 minutes just talking back and forth until I mentioned something about my computer science class. And then, boy, did that change her mind. Well, we had a brief discussion about her dislike of computer guys. And I said, oh, well, yeah, it's getting late. And I know you said you had to be up early, so... uh yeah, I'm sure I'll see you around the commons. Uh, bye. And I hung up, and I'm like, what the fuck? What just happened here? Like, that was not even... If you, you Give me like a thousand ways that I could have listed how this would have gone wrong. I would not have listed learns I'm a computer science major and looks down on me as as one of the possibilities. Like, no chance. And you might say, oh, I bet that was an excuse to get off the phone with you. Or she didn't like you, she just was trying to look for something to criticize. I promise you it was not that. I cannot tell you how abrupt that change was. And we talked for 45 minutes. She, She could have gotten off the phone a long time before that if she wanted to. It's not like she talked five minutes and pretended to be interested and then got off the phone. She talked 45 minutes and seemed very happy the whole way and was laughing. You can't fake that. So it was the computer thing. And I just was shocked and I was so disappointed of all things. It, it's one thing if she, it just turns out we don't have any chemistry or the call doesn't go well or she felt the whole thing was creepy or she just never liked me that way. I didn't get that. I was ready for all that. I just wasn't ready for the computer science thing. That was so weird. So I hung up and I felt even colder than before. Remember, I told you I was cold at the beginning and I was cold throughout the call. I just was kind of ignoring it because I was enjoying the call. But I was even colder after I hung up. And I thought, wow, this really had a big impact on me. It's, it's, I'm getting so cold here. I don't understand what's happening to me, but it must be just the effects of the stress of this whole thing. And I started feeling tired too. So I went to sleep and I woke up with an actual cold. <laughs> so that, I was actually getting sick that night. didn't realize it. That was like the very beginning of the symptoms. It was actually a really bad cold too that took a while to go away. So on top of that, that was like, just as I was getting sick as well. <sighs> There's just like an irritating story. Because of all reasons for it to fail, it was that. Like all the different things I thought could happen to where this wouldn't work didn't happen. And then this hits me. And then not only that, but like not too long after I hung up, I'm like, damn it. A few days ago, there was that girl who sat next to me probably because she was interested and I ignored her for this bitch who didn't like me because I was into computers. I bet that girl who sat next to me, that did, I bet she would have not had a problem with this. Oh my God, I was pissed. Then it was awkward seeing her after that. So you may wonder like, 
what was it like when I saw her in the comments? Well, I actually avoided it for a few days. I actually was going to the other one for a while. I didn't want to see her after this. But then finally I go, you know, I can't just hide from the comments and just because of that crappy phone call. So I would try to go in other lines other than hers, but she like just didn't talk to me and I didn't talk to her. Like we never said another word to each other after this. Weird, huh? But I'll tell you, I did not miss this type of thing once I got older. And I don't mean way older like now, but even like mid-20s. I did not miss dealing with girls of that age. Because you never knew what you were going to get. They, they were so fickle, so unpredictable. And I hated it. It drove me crazy. Especially as like a logical guy. I always tried to understand the reason for everything. And girls of that age were like the opposite of that. It was very hard to explain them a lot. So I did not miss dealing with that type of girl. And as I got older, nonsense happened less and less. So that is this week's Ruffy Time Theater. I hope you enjoyed it. It's not the most uh, uplifting story. I'm I'm sorry that uh, this didn't have a happy ending, but uh, that's the way it went. Uh, Saw 24 said in the chat, we like the old stories. And he says, Druff the Perma Sick. He's talking about me uh, getting colds all the time. You know, it's funny. I didn't get that many colds when I was in high school. And then in college, I started getting more colds. And I figured out why. It was because of increased exposure. Because eating at the dining commons twice a day and touching so many things that everybody else touches and the dorms touching all the elevator buttons and everything else everybody's touching. Like, there's just a lot of opportunities for the cold virus to be caught, mostly through surfaces. Due to the increased exposure, I started getting colds more often. But that was the worst one of all the colds, that, that one that I started feeling that night, which had nothing to do with her, but happened to be going on as I called her. I just didn't feel anything yet except for actually feeling cold. And then feeling tired at the end. But I bet when you heard this story that you were never guessing that was the way it was going to end. And I told my roommate, and he was a computer guy also. He's also a computer science guy. And he was like, what the fuck? <laughs> he couldn't understand it either. He said, are you sure that was what? I said, yeah. We even like, I even asked her. And she said she does not like guys into computers, and it turns her off. He said, that is so strange. I said, I know. I know. Let's move on to talk about the Terra and Luna situation. Usually I do not cover very much cryptocurrency stuff on this show because it didn't get the best reaction from the audience. And I like to give you guys what you want to hear. If there's something you enjoy hearing, I try to do more of it. And if there's something you don't like very much, I try to do less of it. And the cryptocurrency stuff, I, I got some complaints that some people found it boring or they just weren't interested in it. So... I started doing less and less uh, cryptocurrency talk on here. And this week, it was something that I felt I had to cover because this is one of the biggest cryptocurrency stories in the history of cryptocurrency. And it may have very far-reaching implications. So I'm going to try to break this down so you guys can understand it. If you aren't an expert in cryptocurrency or don't really understand what happened here. And I'll be honest, I had to kind of 
look into the whole thing when I first heard about it because I wasn't really following Luna or Terra USD until this scandal started. I was lightly aware of them, but I didn't really know that much about them. So I'll try to break this all down for you so you can understand. And if you already know all this stuff, then you might find this boring. But after I break down what happened, then I will give you my opinion about what this means going forward and also about this whole thing occurring in the first place. So what has occurred in the last few days was a big cryptocurrency crash. Pretty much every cryptocurrency has lost substantial value. And you might say, well, that happens all the time. Well, yes, there is a lot of volatility in cryptocurrency, that's for sure. But this one really is going to have an impact. And not only did it drag down so many other cryptocurrencies, but it also might change a lot in the whole cryptocurrency and NFT spaces going forward. So before I go into what happened, I need to explain what a stable coin is. So most cryptocurrencies are not tied to anything, meaning their value is basically whatever people think they're worth. So if a lot of people are interested in buying a certain cryptocurrency, the value tends to go up. And if people are more interested in selling it and there's fewer buyers than sellers, then it goes down. It's just like stocks, except it's a lot more volatile. And you've seen over the years, I mean, Bitcoin has been around for more than a decade. You've seen over the years how Bitcoin, which was the original of the cryptocurrencies, has rocketed up and crashed back down and rocketed up and crashed back down. You've seen this a ton of times. So a stable coin is meant to be the opposite of that. A stable coin is a special kind of cryptocurrency which always has the same value relative to some fiat currency, usually the U.S. dollar. So a stable coin pegged to the U.S. dollar will always be worth one dollar, one coin, one dollar. So it's not like Bitcoin where you may wake up and it's worth significantly more or less than it was when you went to sleep. If you have your money in stable coin, then you supposedly shouldn't have to worry about that. It should always just be a dollar. Now, you may wonder, why would anyone want that? In fact, I was telling Benjamin about this crypto crash and explaining why it happened. And when I explained stable coins to him, his first question was a good one. Why would anyone want to bother owning a stable coin? Why not just hold it in U.S. dollars then? Why not just keep it in the bank? And so what I explained to him is that it's not trivial to get money onto these exchanges to then exchange for crypto. I mean, a small amounts of money, it's fairly trivial, but a lot of money is not easy. It can take a while. It can have limits. The whole thing can be difficult. So if you want to trade a lot of cryptocurrency and you don't want the volatility of the cryptocurrency, let's say you have most of your net worth tied up in cryptocurrency and you don't want to just leave it in Bitcoin and have it fall to the whims of whatever the Bitcoin market does. If you want to hold it in cryptocurrency in some way, 
without having to worry about the volatility, you keep it in stable coins. And then when you do want to buy other cryptocurrencies, it's not that hard to trade back the stable, the, uh, the stable coins, whatever you have, to other cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or Ethereum or even the, the very small cryptocurrencies that you may want to buy. It's way easier than loading on U.S. dollars to exchanges and loading it back off to your bank over and over and over again. It's just much easier to have it sitting in a stable coin. And then you don't have to worry about the value going up and down. So that's what stable coins have been used for in the time that they've been around. And some people put a lot of money in stable coins for that reason. Some of them wanted the capital out there to where they could trade crypto whenever they want for large sums of money. And also did not want to deal with the volatility. Also, a use for stable coins was if you saw a crash was happening and you kind of foresaw that the crash would occur and then it would stabilize and then it would go back up. So rather than riding that whole wave, what if you quickly dump your money for, or dump your crypto from Bitcoin into a stable coin and then wait out the crash and then buy back the Bitcoin when it hits a low value and then wait for it to go back up. And some people did that too. And some people did uh, pretty well with that if they were able to time it correctly. So the, those are some uses of stable coins. Now, what would be some common stable coins out there? The biggest one is called Tether. The second biggest one is called USD coin. And then the third biggest one was called Terra USD. And unfortunately, one of those three has now fallen upon very hard times and is not worth a dollar. And this has really shaken the cryptocurrency world. Now, the way that these coins keep a stable value, you may wonder, well, how can they possibly do that? What if there's more demand for them than sellers? Wouldn't that push the price above a dollar? And also, why doesn't it crash like other cryptos do? How do they peg it to a dollar? So, there's various ways to do this, but the biggest two, Tether and USD coin, actually tied themselves to real US dollars. And that is the way they basically keep them stable, is they're actually tied to real fiat currency. They're not just theoretically worth it. Like, for example, if you hold one Bitcoin right now, then at the time I'm saying this, Bitcoin is worth $29,385. And you could sell it for around that. But that doesn't mean you have that much. That doesn't mean there's that much money backing it. That just means you could sell it to somebody else who would pay for it right now at that amount. But that can easily change either way. But with Tether and USD coin, there actually are real US dollars that are actually backed by, they're actually backing these two coins. But Terra was different. Terra USD, also known as uh, USDT, is that was uh, kept stable in a different way. That was known as an algorithmic stablecoin. So the way they did this was uh, number one, it was backed by about a billion dollars worth of uh, Bitcoin reserves, and then second. 
they had it tied to another cryptocurrency called Terra Luna, which some people just call Luna. And the idea was that whenever people would uh, buy more UST, that is uh, Terra US dollars, UST, whenever people would buy more of that, then they would burn Luna. And burning means they would just destroy it to where it couldn't be owned anymore. So that means the remaining supply of Luna would become more valuable. What they would do here would uh, basically modify Luna to where it would always keep UST, the stablecoin, pegged to the US dollar in that way. So it was kind of always being adjusted rather than being directly tied to US dollars. It would just always be adjusted through Luna to be worth a US dollar. So what would happen if UST, which is supposed to be worth a dollar, a dollar's worth of Luna, that is, what if it were to slip to 99 cents? Well, since it would be forced back to a dollar, if we were to slip down to 99 cents, Anyone buying it for 99 cents could then exchange it back for Luna and profit one cent per token. Because remember, uh, each UST is supposed to always be worth $1 of Luna. So if you can get it for 99 cents, you make one cent worth. Now you say, well, who would want that to make one penny? Well, but what if you buy a large quantity of it? Then you could make some money that way. So this way, whenever people buy UST, it drives the price up. And when uh, they burn during the exchange to Luna, that uh, deflates the supply. So it brings the price back down. And also they had these reserves of, uh, I think, 1 billion to 1.5 billion in Bitcoin. So uh, this was also protection where if UST went below a dollar, they could sell Bitcoin reserves and then they would buy UST back, which would uh, move the price back up. And then they could also sell UST if it, the price were to go over a dollar until it goes back to a dollar. And then whatever profit they make would actually be used to buy Bitcoin to bring back the reserves. So that was the plan. This was done by the founder of Terra. His name is Do Kwan. And he's on Twitter as at StableQuan, that's Stable, K-W-O-N. He had these schemes in place to keep Terra pegged to a dollar. And he thought that this would work. And it did for a while. He felt so clever because these other two stable coins had to actually be backed by U.S. dollars. And he found a way to not have to do that. He found a way to back Terra with other cryptocurrency, with Bitcoin and with this Luna coin. So he thought he was so clever. And he thought he had the best of the stable coins. And there was some criticism. And he dismissed it all. He thought that the criticism was stupid. In fact, there's now an infamous tweet where he actually called someone stupid and laughed at them when they talked about a potential flaw in his scheme. He wrote, this is in uh, November, the end of November in 2021, wasn't even that long ago, when this guy named Freddie Reynolds had started a thread 
about how a, quote, wealthy attacker could break Terra and make a lot of money. And what Do Kwan responded was, probably the most retarded thread I've read this decade. Silence is a perfectly acceptable option if stupid. Billionaires in my following, go ahead, see what happens. So Do Kwan was actually challenging billionaires out there to do what this uh, Freddie Reynolds was talking about, where Freddie Reynolds was outlining how someone with a lot of money or an organization with a lot of money could make a lot of money and also basically destroy this entire Terra structure and that it was very vulnerable. And Do Kwan was so arrogant. He said, go ahead. If you follow me and you're a billionaire, try it. Try it and see what happens. Anyone who thinks this is going to happen, like Freddie is saying, is stupid. This is the most retarded thread I've read in this decade. That's what he wrote. Very arrogant, right? Well, Freddie was right. Because exactly what Freddie said was going to occur did. And the flaw he pointed out was a real flaw. By the way, one thing I haven't uh, mentioned is that uh, in order to entice people to burn Luna to create more uh, UST, they actually offered a 19.5% yield on uh, staking. It was called the Anchor Protocol. So if you put your money into UST at the time, you would earn 19.5% per year in interest. And about uh, 70% of all of uh, UST that uh, was in supply was uh, deposited using this scheme. So that's how they got a lot of people interested also in in putting their money there. So that was called uh, the Anchor Protocol. Well, what ended up happening was uh, this past weekend, and I'm talking about the weekend that just passed here. So right now uh, we're on, uh, well, we just passed into May 14th, Saturday morning. So we're talking about the last week, about a week ago. $2 billion, more than $2 billion actually, worth of UST was taken out of that anchor protocol where they make the interest. And hundreds of millions of dollars out of that $2 billion was immediately sold. So it's not clear why that was done. It's not clear if this was done as some kind of organized attack or if just Someone decided to do it because they wanted to make money. It's not clear, but but this happened for sure. So because there was this huge sell going on of hundreds of millions of dollars of UST that had never happened before, this type of sale, it pushed the price down to 91 cents. Well, remember what I said earlier. This is a stable coin. This is something that's forced back up to a dollar through these protocols I described like using the Bitcoin reserves to buy it back. So remember, I mentioned if you could get UST for 99 cents and buy a large quantity of it, you would make money because you would end up getting a dollar worth of Luna and you would be making 1% there. So here it's all the way down to 91 cents. So traders thought, oh, this is perfect. This is going to be forced back up to a dollar. So we can make like, 9% on our money. This is great. People started trying to do this. However, there was a problem that only $100 million worth of UST can be burned for Luna in one day. Uh Uh-oh. 
So this whole burning protocol wasn't going to work because there was too much activity that was built into the protocol that only 100 million could be burned in one day of Luna. UST couldn't get back to a dollar. Then the entire reason people were holding UST was out the window. You could no longer count on this. So what happened? Well, what do you do if you're holding a lot of UST or Luna and the whole model has been disrupted? Do you wait around to watch the whole thing crash or do you get out? Well, you get out, right? So that's what happened. Cryptocurrency had already been languishing. All forms of cryptocurrency were already slipping prior to this. So people were already on edge that maybe we're uh, in a crypto bear market that's going to last a while. And then this happens. And they're like, oh, crap. The third biggest stable coin is unable to get itself back to a dollar. This isn't good. Let's just get out of this whole thing. This isn't as stable as we thought it was. So there's a big run on the bank. And everybody started selling their UST and Luna. Uh, you can imagine what happened. The biggest problem was Luna because Luna was really only there to stabilize UST. And with people losing faith in that, everybody started selling it. Luna, remember, which had a variable value, only uh, UST was the one pegged to the dollar. Luna could be anything. Luna actually hit a high of $110 per per token in April. And uh, prior to this crash, Luna was around $82. Well, within a few days, Luna went down from $82 to less than a penny. Presently, Luna is worth about a tenth of a penny and is considered a dead cryptocurrency. It technically still exists, but it's considered dead. Even this Do Quan guy admits that it's dead. That's a tremendous crash. $82 down to a tenth of a penny in less than a week. Can you imagine? To show you what a tremendous crash that was, let's say you believed that Luna was going to get back to the $82 mark it once was. It's not going to. And you shouldn't buy it because you'd be wasting your money. But let's say you really believed it's going to. And let's say you turned out to be right. If today you bought $12.50 worth of Luna and it went back up to the $82 that it once was, you would have... One million dollars. $12.50 would become one million. Amazing, huh? And of course, what really happened was the reverse. So if you had a million dollars worth of Luna a week ago, it's worth about $12.50 today. That's how steep that crash was from $82 to a tenth of a penny. Not one penny, a tenth of a penny. Which means a thousand Luna which was worth $82,000 a week ago is worth $1 today. (laughs) Wow. Wow. 
That, that is the worst crypto crash in history. And we've had small cryptocurrencies crash down very fast. But this was large. This was a large cryptocurrency that went from $82 to a tenth of a penny in less than a week. Just a matter of days. Now, what about UST? Is that down to a tenth of a penny? That was the one that's supposed to be pegged to a dollar. Well, no. Doquan is insisting that they are going to save UST with other forms of investment. So they've basically given up on Luna, but they're saying UST, which was supported by Luna, they're saying, look, Luna was only meant to keep UST propped up. So yeah, Luna failed and sorry about that, but we're going to save UST, you'll see. So have faith, we're going to save it. Well, I don't think so. So it's not in as terrible a shape as Luna is, but as I'm speaking right now, it's worth 17.5 cents. So it's worth about 17.5% of what it's supposed to be. This is a so-called stable coin. There's still some people buying it, believing it may come back. But yeah, good luck. I don't see that happening. So what does this mean? Aside from it shaking everybody's faith in crypto and aside from it wiping out a lot of liquidity and perceived value from the crypto market as a whole. From the crashes of Luna and UST, $15 billion fell out of the crypto market right there. But it wasn't just that. that uh, remember, the other cryptocurrencies crashed as well, just not as hard as these did. I don't have the exact figure for what was lost out of the entire crypto market, but it was probably something around $100 billion. And this time I'm not exaggerating. It probably was around that. That's a lot of money to just wipe out. But that's what happened. Now, where did it go? Like crypto is supposed to be a zero-sum game. Well, not really, because a lot of crypto is perceived value. You couldn't sell all the crypto today for the amount the total market cap of all crypto together. You couldn't do that because the, the value would drop as you sell it. So this is all perceived value. That uh, It's the value that these coins are all selling for at the moment, which can change at any time in any direction. So what this did is uh, wipe out a lot of the perceived value and the faith in what these cryptocurrencies are worth. And what's making people upset here, you may say, okay, well, this sucks, and probably people lost a lot of money who were invested in uh, UST or Luna, but we've seen crashes before, so why is this a big deal? The problem is that the stable coins were long seen as the one way to store value in cryptocurrency reliably and not have to worry about swings. So you could keep crypto like that long term and only get into swings when you want to. And that's all out the window now. People who thought they were putting it in a safe place have lost a fortune. So now what do you do? Do you just take it all out? Do you just stick it somewhere and hope it doesn't wildly crash? So the loss of faith in stable coins is a big problem. It's like not having a bank to put your money in. 
It's like being forced to invest in something rather than have a bank that is just going to hold your money. So with all this value removed and the faith in stablecoins removed, that's a big problem. Now, what about those bigger stablecoins like Tether and USD coin? They're backed by US dollars, so this couldn't happen, right? Because the reason this attack worked, whether it was a coordinated attack on purpose or if it just happened because someone who had a lot of funds did this and that was the end result, by the way, exactly as that Freddy guy said it could happen, he pointed out this flaw back in November and Do Kwan didn't take it seriously. But the same couldn't really happen to USD coin or Tether because they're actually tied to actual US dollars. Well, maybe not. Last year, the New York Attorney General accused Tether of lying of how much they really held in US dollar reserves. There's uh, allegations that Tether isn't what it appears to be, that it's smoke and mirrors. And the office of Letitia James was accusing Tether of not being honest about this. I don't know what ended up happening with that, but the claim from the Attorney General's office was that Bitfinex and Tether deceived clients and overstated reserves and that they they hid $850 million in losses around the globe. So what's the truth? Are they really backed by as much fiat currency as they claim. Maybe not. Maybe they could easily crash as well. So what would happen if someone tried to do to Tether or USD coin what they did to UST, Terra? What what if they tried something that uh, also required a lot of money but could make a lot of money for them? Even if it's not the identical sort of attack, what if they find something some other way? Could that also crash these two bigger stable coins? And the truth is, it's possible. Not only that, but this might finally get the U.S. government to get more into regulating cryptocurrency. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen took note of this. She said that the whole issue with Terra and the fact that it fell far away from a dollar and isn't coming back, she said it illustrates that this stablecoin is a rapidly growing product and there are rapidly growing risks. SEC Commissioner Hester Pierce said one place we might see some regulatory movement is around stablecoins. And that could start to become a problem because a lot of people who invest in crypto are doing so exactly because they want to stay away from government control. Cryptocurrency is supposed to be something independent of government. And stablecoin were seen as a way to store value without having to deal with normal government regulations for storing money. Now the governments could start getting involved. It also might hasten the demise of NFTs. And on the surface, this wouldn't look like 
something that would happen because this had nothing to do with NFTs. Yeah, a lot of NFTs are bought with cryptocurrency, but that shouldn't mean that NFTs are in trouble, right? No, not necessarily. Remember, before this happened, things were already on the decline. NFTs were slipping in value. Some had crashed very badly. In 2021, there were all these trash NFTs appearing everywhere, and some of them made decent money. Some people were just buying anything that was called an NFT. And then, as you might guess, things started to change, and the I wouldn't say the bubble burst, but the bubbles were starting to get tighter. And while some of the bigger NFTs were still doing fine, a lot of the others were starting to slip in value. And it's really not clear what the future is going to be for NFTs. I've predicted since they really got prominent about uh, a year and a few months ago, like at the beginning of 2021, when NFTs really grew, I predicted that they would survive, but that only the big ones would continue on and, and the small ones would really lose value and be worth about nothing. We're starting to see a movement towards that already before this whole thing happened. But what this did here is it shook everybody's faith in the whole space. Because it's, it's all along the same lines. It's all along the lines of you holding a digital asset that is said to be worth real money. That at any point you can exchange for real money. And while NFTs and cryptocurrency are different, they're both blockchain products. And cryptocurrency is typically used to purchase NFTs. And when cryptocurrency has an issue, it's never good for NFTs. And if people start to lose faith in the whole space and start to bail out of it, then one's going to drag down the other. And since we were already in a bear market for NFTs and already in a bear market for cryptocurrencies, this might just hasten that trudge to the bottom. I'm not saying this is going to happen immediately, but this could make a lot of the NFTs crash faster. This could send Bitcoin down lower as time passes in the middle of 2021 2022 sorry forgot what year we're in and we could really see a very big difference in a negative way of what these digital assets are worth and this is something that i've always predicted will happen not this situation with terra because that i did not predict in any way I did wonder about these stable coins and how stable they really were. And I guess we found out. But I never thought that the future of finance was just a ton of cryptocurrencies, some big and some really small, just taking over for the financial world as we know it. That's not what I saw. I saw this as a very immature space and... Even over a decade later, it's still an immature space. And that eventually, a lot is going to give. And people will kind of come to their senses. And that it's just not going to be worth that much. And maybe eventually on the other side, 
cryptocurrency will be something that's very relevant in everyday life. But it's not going to be like one out of thousands of coins. What's going to happen is that there will be one or maybe a few dominant coins and, and the rest are going to be worth about zero. Because the truth is most of these coins don't have any utility. And when something has no utility, then it really doesn't have that much of a long-term lifespan. And same thing with NFTs. I think the NFTs that might have a better shot are ones that actually have utility, like Zedrun, which I'm part of. I think those may have a future, but things you just collect, I think most of that is going to be worthless soon enough. And a lot of these cryptocurrencies may be worthless soon enough. And maybe even Bitcoin will be worthless. Maybe eventually something will rise that replaces all of this and becomes a cryptocurrency for the people that is used by everyday people in everyday life, which Bitcoin never got there. None of them ever got there. It's still too complex for the average person to use. And cryptocurrency enthusiasts don't realize this because to them, it's natural. To them, it's easy. They think if they understand it, then everybody can. Well, it's not like that. Most people are put off by this and kind of scared by it. And at most, they'll buy a little bit and hold it and hope they make money. But as far as replacing money as they know it, most people are not ready to do that. And they won't be. And the ease of use is definitely not there. I know they've come out with some products to allow you to exchange cryptocurrencies more easily, but it's still not super easy. And those super long addresses that look complex, I mean, it's going to really put off a lot of people, a lot of non-technical people. And as you've probably seen, there aren't that many businesses that accept cryptocurrency of any kind as payment. I will accept it because I have use for it. Most people won't. And you have to look outside poker and gambling. Because if you go in the poker space or the advantage player space, yeah, there's a lot of people who are willing to take Bitcoin or Ethereum as payment for money you owe them. But you get out of those type of spaces, you're not going to see that many. The average person you owe money to, hey, can I send it to you in Bitcoin? They're going to go, what? No, (laughs) I can't even receive Bitcoin. I don't know how to receive Bitcoin. Like I'm in a fantasy baseball league and none of the other people in this fantasy baseball league are gamblers or really very technical. And these are all smart guys. These aren't idiots. These are all very smart dudes. But they're they're just not into this type of stuff. And uh, I actually hold the money for this league. And so uh, when people need to submit their entry fees... I asked, uh, you know, anybody who wants to submit it with a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, if you have that, uh, go ahead. In fact, that'll be easier. And they all kind of laughed like, well, no, I don't have any of that. And that's really the average person out there. They don't have it. They don't have a way to receive it. And even if they do, they don't want to bother with it. So you can't just have something worth a ton of money that you just can't do much with. And I know I've been saying this for a long time and it hasn't come true. In fact, it just keeps going up in value. But that doesn't mean that that's not the future. 
And something like this can really hasten that. This has shaken a foundation. Even though Terror was not the biggest stablecoin, it was only the third biggest, the fact that a stablecoin has collapsed, now it's got people thinking, what about the other two? And if we can't trust any stablecoins, then where do we put our assets in cryptocurrency without having to worry about the volatility? Where do we put it? That might be a big problem. So we will watch what happens here. But it may not be good. Some people have reported on Reddit that they had almost all of their money in Luna. And that they are so broke now that their life is ruined. And some people talked about suicide and that it actually only seems like the reasonable option for them to do at this point since they've ruined everything they've worked for. They've lost it all. Some have said that the suicide posts on Reddit are not authentic and that people are just doing it for attention. What is possible? There's trolls out there who might be taking advantage of this moment to post a uh, fake I'm going to kill myself message when they really didn't even hold any Luna. But who knows? I mean, it's believable. There were people who really lost a fortune in Luna. In fact, Hustler Casino Live unearthed a clip from January where Wesley, who is a uh, big cryptocurrency guy, who made a ton of money that way. That's how he was able to afford to play on stream and play loose in these big games. He accurately predicted in January that Luna was going to crash. So one guy at the table is saying he owned a lot of Luna. So that guy probably just lost his ass on this. And Wesley's saying, oh, no, no, I would get rid of that. Luna's going to crash. Now, he actually said Luna's going to go down to $5. <laughs> nope, it went down to a tenth of a cent. But he was on the right track. Not only that, but this has also drawn people's attention to something that could happen to you if you have anything on Coinbase. If you are storing your cryptocurrency on Coinbase, in the event that Coinbase goes under, then you're screwed. In a term of service that was posted on Coinbase, one part of it says... Moreover, because custodially held crypto assets may be considered to be the property of a bankruptcy estate, in the event of a bankruptcy, the crypto assets we hold in custody on behalf of our customers could be subject to bankruptcy proceedings, and such customers could be treated as our general unsecured creditors. Uh-oh, that is a big problem. <laughs> This may result in customers finding our custodial services more risky and less attractive and any failure to increase our customer base, discontinuation or, or reduction in use of our platform and products by existing customers as a result could adversely impact our business, operating results, and financial condition. So basically, they're saying if they fail, then you don't just get to walk away with your crypto assets that were on there. That it's actually kind of like their crypto assets that could be used to pay other creditors. It's a little scary. The big difference between them holding your coin for you, but ultimately you have the right to them, and them holding your coin, but then that could be considered part of a general bankruptcy where this could be sent to others that are owed money by uh, 
Coinbase in the event that they fail. So that statement was put out and now people are very concerned about that as well. So I would advise that you don't store your cryptocurrencies on any of these exchanges. You should use these exchanges only to buy and sell for real money and then take that real money and ship it to your bank. So don't leave a lot of money sitting on Coinbase. Don't leave crypto sitting on Coinbase. Just get in and get out with with Coinbase or any of the other exchanges like that. So this, this could all end up pretty ugly. There are some conspiracy theories that Citadel and BlackRock are actually responsible for this recent terror crash and that it was their coordinated attempt that did this and that they made a lot of money from it. However, this has not been proven. This is just a a conspiracy theory. I'm not even sure where it came from. So don't put too much stock in that. Do Kwan is still on Twitter and he actually still has a lot of supporters who aren't blaming him which surprises me because he was so arrogant about this. this. This whole thing was pointed out back in November. Today, here is what he posted. This was posted at 3.15 p.m., May 13th. I've spent the last few days on the phone calling Terra community members, builders, community members, employees, friends, and family that have been devastated by the UST depegging. I am heartbroken about the pain my invention has brought on all of you. I still believe that decentralized economies deserve decentralized money, but it is clear that UST in its current form will not be that money. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. He's already pretty much admitting that this is going to fail as well. He already gave up on Luna. Neither I nor any institutions that I'm affiliated with profited in any way from this incident. I sold no Luna nor UST during the process. We are currently working on documenting the use of the LFGBTC reserves during the depegging event, they're talking about what happened with the Bitcoin they were holding as reserves. Please be patient with us as our teams are juggling multiple tasks at the same time. There are multiple proposals on the best steps to move forward for the community. After having read many of them, I've put down my thoughts on what I think the best steps are. What we should look to preserve now is the community and developers that make Terra's block space valuable. I'm sure our community will form consensus around the best path forward for itself and find a way to rise again. And someone responded back, all we get are some vague info pieces and the usual thoughts and prayers. Sounds like a fair deal after ruining thousands of people. We deserve better. Yeah. That pretty much was just BS. (laughs) That doesn't make me very optimistic about the future of uh, Terra. I I think it's done. I think it's uh, living in dreamland, believing that's going to come back. I mean, just no one's going to trust it again. Could you imagine leaving this guy in charge? Could you imagine making the same mistake twice? Yeah, just to be clear, Saw24 is saying in, in chat that it's below a penny. I, I was talking about Luna is one-tenth of a penny. At the moment, UST which is the Terra USD that was supposed to be the stable coin, that's around 17.5 cents. So that's not as bad, but still about a sixth of a dollar where it's supposed to be. And I, I think it's going to keep going down. It may temporarily go back up. And believe it or not, it actually went back as far as like uh, 82 cents at one point. 
after the initial crash, but came crashing back down. That isn't anything I think you should mess with at this point. Just think about it. The the entire success of Terra USD would be people believing in it again and using it as a store of crypto wealth. And no one's going to do that again. Nobody's going to trust this guy again. So it's done. Call you on the air. What's going on? Poker fraud alert family. This is Christopher Bitchell here with Scam Through Life vlog. <laughs> Hello, Christopher Bitchell. What's going on? Listen here. I heard you talking about all this Bitcoin and Luna and Tethercoin, and I just wanted to let you know for a one-time recurring payment of $500 a month, I can make you a million dollars through Bitcoin because I am the GOAT. You know what? If you just buy $12.50 worth of Luna, Christopher Bitchell, and just wait for it to go back to where it was a week ago, you will have a million dollars. So I think you've got a solid plan there. I know. I I made a million dollars today on Luna. Um, And I can prove that because I wrote it on my, my notepad. Your notepad. Well, I I know that's usually how I accept proof from anybody. You just write it on a notepad, and it could not be false. There's there's no way a notepad can lie. Good. Are you going to pay me five hundred dollar a one time five hundred? Hold on. Booyah! Holla at you, boy! I just won my sixth Marty in a row for a dollar. Really? Wow! Impressive. Yeah. Well, and um, hold on, hold on. Brandon, Brandon, get off Bob. Beat up, beat up answering the calls, not the balls. Sorry. There's a gay sex going on in my back seat. Well, it happens sometimes. You got to watch out who you take in your car. So, okay, uh, Christopher Bitchell, yeah, the $500. Uh, now, is this like a, a one time payment you have to make and you, you'll have your coaching for life. There's no chance you're ever going to end that and make it a monthly thing. No, it's a, it's a one time recurring monthly payment. Oh, one time. Okay. So you get it for life, a a lifetime monthly payment. Okay. And it's $500 a month. And what do they get for that? They'll get, uh, my live coaching of Bitcoin and Baccarat and, uh, and anything else that I can think of that I can become the goat at. So basically anything you do, you're automatically the goat. Everything. And uh, listen, there's dead, broke, jealous haters that'll say otherwise, but I have proof. And what is that proof? Notepads. Oh, more notepads. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean... I. I don't see how that could be questioned. You know, there there are a lot of dead broke, jealous haters out there that they see claims on YouTube about people being uh, filthy rich, and they think, you know what? That guy saying it doesn't mean it, and we don't believe it because some people on YouTube lie. And then the truth is these are just dead broke, jealous haters that have the nerve not to believe claims that are made on YouTube because I, I've never watched one YouTube video which I ever felt the 
host was being uh, untruthful. I, I think on YouTube, it's like a truth serum. The second you turn on that camera, uh, there's no way you could tell a lie. No, no, not I, I don't lie. I tell the truth. I swear on the Bible. I'm a Christian man. Yeah, well, that's, that's true, I too. Lie. I mean, Christians never lie either, so that's a good point. I know. And listen, um, you know, I have good strategies. <laughs> I, I have the best strategies. Yeah, I, yeah I, I'm guessing you do. I'm guessing you do. I and mean, you, you know what? What was that? You know what? These dead, broke, jealous haters... Can uh, I, they're freaking liars, and you know what? I I did admit that I did get kicked out of a few casinos, um, you know. But now I'm I'm traveling to another casino for my staycation. I gotta fly like three hours for my staycation, but um, you know I I talked to this one uh, pit boss. I think his name was BJ 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 BJ, and uh. You know, he was like, there's people calling about you, Christopher Bitchell. And, uh, but you know what? You beat us out of another $100,000 this month. We're going to give you all the cops. Yeah, I know that's how casinos work. They they love when you beat them out of money and they respect it so much. They just give you more free stuff. And even though they know you can beat them, they just roll out the red carpet for you. Because, yeah, as long as you bet big. Even if you're a winning gambler, they're happy to have you through the door. They love losing money, these casinos. So it doesn't surprise me they keep inviting you back uh, despite you beating them for just these large sums that you wouldn't expect they would like, but somehow they do. Every day. Every day. All I do is win, win, win no matter what. Yeah. I'm a rapper. I'm the, the goat rapper. Well, the last question I have for you is, if you're making so much money here, why are you selling these strategies to people? Why are you uh, not just giving it away for free or just not telling anyone? Because uh, I'm a Christian, and uh, dead, broke, jealous haters need to know how to respect the goat and how to respect money, so they have to pay me money. Oh, okay. Makes sense. So you, you want... Why are you even asking these questions? Why do you have questions for me? Yeah, I, I, I guess that that's not right for me to be doing here. This, this is a, a new era where this is a non-judgmental world. You can't ask questions about anything. You can't use common sense. You cannot uh, analyze anything. You just have to take people for their word or whatever they say. And uh, you, you know who an- you know who answers questions? Who? Hebrew slaves. Hebrew slaves answer questions. Hey, hey, hey. Well, they, look, look, look. Just because I answer a few questions here doesn't make me a slave. I might be Hebrew, and I might answer some questions and ask some questions, but I I wouldn't say I'm a slave. You're a dead, broke, jealous hater. Yeah, well, I, I probably am because the site hasn't made money in the 10 years it's been running. Unlike, unlike your site, which I know uh, you, you make a lot of money from all the people who are paying you big bucks to learn how to beat the casinos with the martingale strategy you can too if you just pay me that one time recurring payment of five hundred dollars i will i'll tell you what mr whittles i will give you a discount for the next 24 hours if you sign up for my course 99 percent off oh 
I might actually do. That. I mean, is that for five dollars? Yeah, I think I'm going to do that. I may have to do it for five dollars. Okay, All I think right. we got a deal here. I'm going to need your debit card. I'm going to need your social security number and your date of birth. You can trust me. Okay, well, I'll have I swear to swear on the Bible. I'll have to give it to you off the air, but yeah, we'll we'll do that. Okay, well, thanks thanks for calling Christopher Bitchell. There, it's. Uh, been very nice hearing from you. I've been waiting for you to call the show for a while. I'm glad you finally Remember got through. Remember to like and subscribe and ring the bell for notifications. That's this is Christopher Bitchell, and I'll see you on the next video, guys. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> okay. All right, so let's move back to poker. And a player who goes by the name of Rampage... And he's been seen on a lot of these high-stakes streams. He had a complaint about ACR that I want to talk about. And uh, his real name is Ethan Yao, Y-A-U. And apparently he went on ACR, and he's not really a big online guy. So he was quite shocked at what happened when he put money on to play and then could not cash out. This is what he tweeted on May 9th. Why play or lose if you can't cash out when you want to? And then he put at ACR Poker to get their attention. Then he posted a screenshot saying, Hello, Rampage Poker. Your recent cash out request, number blah, 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 in the amount of $13,276.50 has been canceled and the funds returned to your digital exchange account. Now, digital exchange is their payment processor. And then it says reasons. Number one. But strangely enough, number one was the only reason. It just says number one. Be kindly advised that your withdrawal is based on a recent deposit. Funds deposited are meant for you to fund your account in order to access the games we offer. You can cash out any earnings coming from our games, but you must generate at least 10% of rake revenue over the amount deposited to be eligible for a payout. If you need further questions or information regarding your cash out, please email us at cashier at digitalexchange.eu. So what does that mean? What is this funds deposited or meant for you to fund your account in order to access the games? You can cash out any earnings, but you must generate at least 10% of rake. What, what do they mean? Okay. What they're trying to say here is that we do not want you cashing out shortly after you've deposited other than what you've won. So let's take an example. You deposit 15000 to America's Card Room to play high stakes. You win $2,000, and then you hit the cash out button to get all 17000 off. Now, you don't play all that long. You play one high stakes session. Maybe you generated like 100 bucks worth of rake. But now you're done, and you just want to cash out the whole thing and leave, like in a regular card room where you cash out both what you bought in and whatever money you made if you did make money at the table. So what ACR would say to you at that point is, "Uh uh-uh, we will let you cash out the 2000 you won. You can do that right away. But as far as the money you deposited, since you deposited 15000 until you rake 1500 you cannot withdraw that 15000 you need to rake 10% of what you deposited to withdraw back what you originally deposited. So Rampage apparently put on money, played not too long, 
and then tried to take out the whole thing. And they said the whole thing's canceled because he has not raked enough. So how do I feel about this? Do I think this is okay? Well, in my opinion, sort of. See, these sites do pay fees to their payment processors for deposits and withdrawals. So it does make sense for them to want people to not simply move money on and off at a rapid pace without playing much in between. They also wanted to discourage people from using deposits and cash outs as a regular method of ending your sessions on the site. They want you to leave your balance on there. They don't want you to deposit, play, cash out, deposit, play, cash out. Instead, they want you to deposit, play, and then just leave your balance until the next time you play and only cash out when you're either done playing for good or when you've made some money and you don't need that much on there anymore. So I can understand that. There used to be pretty hefty fees charged to these poker sites by payment processors, sometimes as high as 9%. However, one of the members of the Poker Fraud Alert Forum who also listens to this show, FTP Jesus, and no, it's not Jesus Ferguson, it's just someone who created that screen name based upon him, said that he actually has a business with cryptocurrency payments and he uses a service called coin payments and he says they charge him one percent so he says i don't believe that acr is paying any more than one percent per transaction and furthermore he thinks that they actually own digital exchange so they're probably not paying anything it's probably their own company which is possible now i will say that ftp jesus's company is a legal company in the U.S., whereas ACR is not. So it's possible they're paying a premium if they don't own digital exchange in order to process these cash outs. But who knows? I will say that it is probably a lot less than the 8-9% it used to be. So he does have a point that they're really not paying very high fees and maybe just being greedy. However, I do understand why they want to discourage the deposit cash out thing that people do after just playing one session. And maybe Rampage doesn't understand that because he's used to live poker. And that's what you do in live poker is you cash out everything you had on the table when you're done. What I think they should do here is adjust this policy. So... There are a few problems with their policy here that you have to rake 10% of whatever you deposited. If you're playing high stakes, you need a lot of money to play high stakes, obviously. So that means you have to deposit a lot to play high stakes if you're new to the site. There's only two ways to get the money to play high stakes. You can either win it over time, or you can just deposit it if you have the money to play. And if you deposit it, then you have to put a lot on there. So 10% of a large sum deposited will take a long time to rake. And that's because the rake is capped at like $5 per pot. So high stakes games, which don't even go all that regularly on there, are not going to generate a lot of rake for the players there. It's not like people just grinding 12 low stakes tables, Nananoko style, and quickly generating a lot of rake. The high stakes games 
don't go that much. And when they do, they're generating low rake compared to the amount of money being wagered. So it's not fair to make them rake 10% of what they deposited because it's going to take an eternity to get there. What they should instead have, if they're going to have this policy in place, which, by the way, some sites didn't and still don't. Some of them kind of just look at the big picture and as long as you don't abuse it, they just let it go, even if it technically costs them some extra money. But they're not the first site to do this. In fact, I even remember Poker Stars in the 2000s. I got pissed off because I was a very active player on Poker Stars, as you guys probably remember if you were around in those days. And I remember I transferred some money to my then girlfriend because she didn't have any money at the moment and she needed some money for something. So I sent her like 200 bucks on Poker Stars for her to then cash out through NetTeller. This is like back in 06. And then she would uh, be able to get the money almost immediately and then use it for what she needed. So at the time, I was in Las Vegas. She was in L.A. And this was an easy way for me to send her money. And she did play on there sometimes for real money. So it's not like she just had an account to receive money from me on Poker Stars. So anyway, they rejected her cash out and they wrote a very obnoxious letter to her saying that we're not a bank. And they wrote the same thing to me. So I got really mad and I, I wrote an angry letter to them, an angry email that is. And I said, look, I rake so much on here and this is my money, not hers. I would understand if I just deposited it here and shot, shot it over to her. But this is money that was part of my balance on here from all the play I do. So if I cashed out the 200, you'd be totally cool with it. For some reason, if I send it to her and she cashes it out, then you get so upset. So why does it matter who cashes it out? This is my girlfriend. And I've been with her a long time. And I'm sending the money for her to cash out. And unless you would have a problem with me cashing out the money, I don't see what the problem is. So again, they gave me a statement that they're not a bank. They're not supposed to do it this way. All this crap. And they, they finally backed down and allowed it. But I thought it was so stupid because this definitely wasn't a case of using their system as a way to transfer money around. This was to, yeah, this was totally a case of just a regular player who had the right to cash out that money and definitely earned the right to cash out that money from all his play just sending it to someone else who was close to him to cash it out, which should have been totally fine. They were just being dicks about it. So they backed down. But this is like more than 15 years ago. So here ACR doing it in kind of a different form is not that surprising. But they should have, if they're going to have a policy like this, they should have a policy instead which requires X number of raked hands to play in order to withdraw. It shouldn't be based on rake generated for the reasons I said, that the rake generated is not uh, proportionate at high stakes to the pots like they are at lower stakes. So that's the first problem. And then they could also adjust it the other way for micro stakes, where micro stakes are so small, they don't want someone to just purposely play a lot of uh, hands and just fold every hand at one cent, two cent, so they can cash out. So they, they could adjust it where you have to generate X amount of rake at micro stakes or play X number of hands at uh, you know, low stakes or higher, something like that. Second, 
they should also require they should also offer a one-time withdrawal for anyone who wants to take all their money off with the understanding that they can only do it once without meeting this rake requirement so they should send you a an email if you try to withdraw too soon in their opinion and say here's what we expect of you as far as how much you rake before you withdraw however if you really want your money we will give it to you on this one-time basis but just letting you know next time you're not going to be able to do this again do you understand yes no and once you say yes then it's on you the problem is when guys like rampage deposit on acr they don't know that these requirements exist so then they try to get their money and they're stuck and that's the problem is poor communication it's not like they emailed him when he tried to deposit whatever he did something in the low five figures it looks like it's not like they emailed him and said wait rampage before we process your deposit just know you have to rake 10 percent of this to get the money off would you like to still play or shall we refund your deposit? That's what they should do. If they don't, if they don't make this abundantly clear when you deposit, then they need to give you at least one chance to get it all off without this requirement. Also, this is going to kill their high stakes action if people can't do this. They, they also might want to make an exception for high stakes. Otherwise, these games are not going to go. People are not going to deposit on there if they can't cash out immediately. So that's also something they could do is decide if someone decides to put on money and play high stakes that they will let them cash out. Why would they want high stakes games? Because it attracts attention. People enjoy watching them. And then when you watch high stakes go, then you can think, hey, you know what? One day I'm going to be in that game. One day I'm going to win so much here that I will be playing with these guys. And you can aspire to be like them. And Full Tilt had that model... And many other sites had that model where they would have these high stakes going and the main purpose would be so the ordinary players there could have something to look up to, something to hope they get to one day. And I remember even on PokerStars back in the day when players could chat in there if they were railing the game, which they did away with. But when they had that in the early and early to mid-2000s, I do remember that people were very impressed by the whole thing. And some of them were saying that they hoped they could be there one day. That was their dream to play at that table one day. I still have people come up to me at the World Series and say, hey, you know, I used to really enjoy watching you play on Poker Stars. When, you know, these were like people who were younger than me, but weren't that young anymore when they'd come up to me. I'm talking about like in the mid to late 2010s or whatever. And they'll talk about back in the day, like in 03, when they were in college, and they remembered watching me play in these uh, high-stakes Poker Stars games, which was, I guess by today's standards, weren't really high-stakes anymore. But uh, back, you know, back then, that was the highest thing going online. And they say, I used to re- really love watching that, and I used to dream that one day I'll be in games like that. And you know, some of them are now, but they'll tell me this, that that was their experience initially in poker when they were young and broke. So these sites like having these bigger games that people can look at and hope they get to one day. 
or it just kind of inspires them to want to play. You watch people play poker, and then you kind of want to go play yourself. And you're not going to want to watch poker if the highest thing going is 510. So they have an incentive to have these games go, so why make it difficult on people who are not regular online players like this Rampage guy? So I really don't agree with this, even though I understand what they're doing and why. I don't really agree with it. At the very least, they should let them do it once and have them understand for next time. And that's really the solution for a lot of these things, not just in poker, but with businesses in general, with rules that the customer wouldn't normally think of unless they're experienced with the situation, a lot of times the answer is, okay, we'll explain it to you, we'll make an exception this once, but now you know for the future, next time we're not doing it for you. And that often is the solution, and that's sometimes the solution I will offer, again, not with poker necessarily, but that's the solution I will sometimes offer companies when I'm asking for them to bend a rule because they weren't clear about something. And that next time, I won't let it happen. Next time, I understand what I'm getting into. Next time, they don't have to do this for me again. That sort of thing. And my argument always is, I didn't know, and I had no way to know, and this is your fault. So I know now, so next time it happens, then you can tell me I knew and it's my fault. But here I didn't know, and it's not my fault for not knowing. So I think that's what Rampage could say here. I don't know if he ever got his money, but... That would be a good argument on his part. Well, let's talk about someone getting money that they didn't expect rather than someone not getting money they did expect. And I'm talking about the employees of the Cosmopolitan. The employees there received something surprisingly generous, and it was unexpected. The Cosmopolitan recently sold to MGM for $1.6 billion. So they decided to give more than 5,000 of their workers a $5,000 cash bonus. And this totals the amount being given out as bonuses of $27 million. The current owner of the Cosmo is the Blackstone Group and it is being bought by MGM. It hasn't been finalized, but uh, it is going to happen. But these bonuses represent about 1.5% of the sale price. That's, That's a good deal of money. And this was unexpected by the employees there. This was not something announced in advance. But a very pleasant surprise, and this wasn't just given like to the high-level executives. This was given to everybody. And for a lot of these people, that was a very, very big deal. And uh, it was a 5,400 workers got it. And when this was announced, everybody got very excited, as you might imagine. Remember, a lot of these are, are low-end workers... Uh, immigrants, I'm not saying illegal immigrants, but immigrants who you know, work as cooks and really don't live a luxurious life. So to get $5,000 you're not expecting is pretty exciting. Uh, this was at uh, some sort of uh, presentation they had. This was announced 
to surprise employees. Listen to this. Congratulations to every one of you. So what he did here is the CEO, Bill McBeath, he claimed there was a $5,000 giveaway for someone in the room. So they had this buildup. Congratulations to everyone. And then they all blew up and took cheers. Because they realized that everybody won $5,000 there. Oh my goodness, this is amazing. I, I feel elated just because the energy and the turnout, first and foremost, from a CoStar perspective, I couldn't even imagine anything better than what happened today. And then just to see everyone's reaction when the big announcement and the, the Cosmopolitan Most Valuable Player Award was given to everybody. Wow, I, I, I can't so even the- say, I don't have words. It's just so much. That was what they claimed they were giving was the most valuable player award, $5,000 to somebody. Instead, everybody's most valuable player, and all 5,400 employees are getting $5,000. Why are they doing this? I guess to make the transition easier, to make people feel better about the whole thing, to retain employees. Remember, this is still a business, and they are not there to give charity and it's really not very common that a very large company does something generous just because they want to be nice. So there were obviously meetings about this and they talked about it and maybe there was some concern that some of these workers may go elsewhere and you know there's still a worker shortage so it's not so easy to get workers and maybe they're worried that workers would leave or some have been leaving to go work elsewhere. I have heard it's a good place to work. I have heard this is one of the better casinos as far as employers are concerned. But still, this is a way to keep people feeling really good about the company. And they must have calculated that this $27 million is worth spending. Because for every employee that leaves, it does cost the company money because there's a cost in hiring new people. There is a situation where the new people you hire are not as good as the previous ones and you have to fire them or just tolerate worse service from them. There's also the problem that even if you are hiring good people, it takes a while to get them up to speed. So for a while, they may not be that good. And then they'll eventually be good, but there is still a cost to the business. So there is something to be said about maintaining as many employees as you can, especially ones that are decent or better. There's about 2,500 people maybe at that event that they had. So it wasn't all of you. I guess it was all of you, but there were a lot of people who were not attending who also got it. And the uh, CEO said that Everybody working at the Cosmo did a great job during the pandemic of still maintaining the Cosmo as a youthful, exuberant brand. And the Cosmopolitan Chief People Officer, that's a stupid title, Daniel Espino said, 
It's you every single day that makes a difference. Whether you clean the rooms, cook the food, or are dealing cards, serving drinks at the front desk, you make a difference. Yeah, very sweet. I've never heard of anything like this where there's just a blanket bonus to everyone of that amount of money. So it's pretty interesting. It's nice for the employees there that didn't know this was coming, that just get this. Especially for those that may have tight money situations now, especially with all the inflation going on. So I'm glad to see this rather than Cosmo just keeping it. I just think that this was not necessarily an act of generosity, but more a calculated business decision that happened to benefit the employees. I tend not to give much credit to corporations for doing things out of the goodness of their heart. And I always felt that it's something the employee has to know too. That your relationship with a big corporation is almost like something that's cold and like almost like you're a machine they're hiring, if you look at it that way. That they see you as a machine that they will toss away when you don't work well for them anymore. And so for that reason, you have to approach your job the same way. I'm not saying do a lousy job. I'm saying that you shouldn't have loyalty to the point to where it harms you. You shouldn't give too much up to be loyal to the company because they're not going to be that loyal to you. And even acts like this, you can't even say are an act of loyalty. That could be a calculated move to have better employee retention, which could be worth more than $27 million to them in the long run. This move is being done by the present owners, not by the new owners. So you can't thank MGM for this. This is the... They're basically giving back 1.5% of what the Cosmo was sold for to the employees. Now, when the CEO said that they maintained a youthful, exuberant brand, they're actually correct about that. The Cosmo has been the go-to place for the young, hip crowd in Vegas. They replaced the Palms for that. It all moved to the Cosmo. That's really the way it's been there since 2010. And I'm sure if you've been there and you've looked around, you'll notice that. It's a young crowd. It's an attractive crowd. You don't see that many older people there. And sometimes when you see older dudes, they're with much younger women. I'm not seeing, I'm not saying you see no older people walking around, but you see a lot fewer than at other casinos on the Strip. When this merges with MGM at Cosmo... Uh, They still haven't decided yet, to my knowledge, of what they're going to do with the Identity Rewards Program. There's some belief it might be rolled into MGM M-Life, and there's some belief it might be allowed to continue independently. I don't know. I never liked this consolidation because it removes competition, and it's also very bad if you get banned from one property. Often you're banned from the whole group. So the last thing you want is two casino owners owning pretty much every prominent property in town. And we're getting closer and closer to that in Vegas. Though Caesars will be letting go of one of their strip properties very soon. They haven't said which one yet. But it's probably going to be either Planet Hollywood, 
Flamingo, Harris, or The Link, with Harris and uh, Planet Hollywood being the most likely two, because they're both on the edge of that whole group of properties on opposite sides. All right, so let's move on and talk about what happened at the Hustler. But this time, it's not a Hustler Casino live story. It's just a Hustler story. This is for from the Hustler Casino. And there was a fight that broke out. And the outlet that covered it was not even a poker outlet. This was actually covered by uh, Grindface TV, which is a uh, Twitter channel a Twitter account, which I think is also the website, Grindface TV. I've never heard of it. It says GrindfaceTVGPound.com. I have no idea what this is. But the caption of this video was, Bruh cracked him good with that table. And then they have some emojis. And then you watch it. And it was a fight at the Hustler. It's about a minute-long video involving someone getting hit with a table. So let's listen to this. I'll try to explain what's going on. So you hear a lot of yelling back and forth. So there's two guys standing up, the one closer to the camera. But nobody's really close to the camera. It's taken several feet away. But there's a bald guy who's kind of overweight who's yelling at this other guy who looks younger with a beard. And they're yelling at each other here about something. It's not clear what started the altercation. But it's they're both standing and yelling, but there's no punches being thrown at this time. So this is where it escalates. The bald guy yells, shut your mo- uh, fuck your mother. This really pissed off the younger guy who says, shut the fuck up about my, 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 about my mother. <laughs> For some reason, that really got him angry. Fuck your mother. Shut the fuck up about my mother. Listen to this again. It's hard to make out a little bit because there's so much yelling, but try to listen again. That's a shut the fuck up about my mother, so he's trying to say. So then the bald guy decided to double down on it, and he just says, Yo mama! So he didn't say your mama's so fat, your mama's so old. It's not, it wasn't like a yo mama joke. It just said, fuck your mother. He saw this irritated, the guy he's arguing with. So then when the guy is saying, stop talking about my mom, then the bald guy just yells, yo mama. So this really sent the younger guy into a frenzy. And he lunged at him to try to swing at him. Didn't seem to make contact. Then the bald guy punched back. Bald guy looks bigger, but he is closer to the camera, so it's not totally apparent here. So he swung back, also missed. Then the younger guy backed up a little bit. Then the younger guy approached him again and sort of connected with a punch. Now people are trying to hold him back. In the meantime, the bald guy is kind of backing away. I think he's getting a little scared. <laughs> he may actually not win this fight. And and so the at this point, the younger guy is still approaching him. And I think the bald guy, remember he's older too, so I, I think he, he may figure that 
he bit off more than he could chew here, and he already kind of got hit. So he decided he's going to pick up a weapon. Now, what weapon can you pick up there at the Hustler Casino? Well, he picked up one of these little tables that people usually will put the drinks on and decided to wield that as a weapon. (laughs) So that's what he did. He, He picked up the table. He kind of runs away a little bit, grabs the table and picks it up and approaches this younger guy here to hit him with it. And that crack was him hitting him. That's why the Twitter account says, bruh, crack can go with that table. You hear So that, that sound was not the table hitting his opponent again. This was him getting tased and dropping the table. Security ran over and tased the bald guy holding up the table to swing it again. And he went flying back and dropped the table. And he yelled, he hit me first. And now the, now the security guard is saying, stay down, turn around. Yes, it, and so now he's afraid, after hitting this guy with the table, that if he's being held on the ground on his stomach by the security guard, that the, this guy is going to come get revenge while he's in a vulnerable position. So he keeps saying, don't let him come. So that was it. It ended when the security guard pointed at the guy recording it, which I think was in a 2550 limit game. I don't know what game they were playing where the fight broke out, but the guy recording it looked like he was in 2550 limit hold'em. I think I recognized that game. And so whoever was recording that stopped it at that point. And he must have sold it to Grindface TV or something. And that's that's where it is. So, yeah, this occurred at the Hustler. It's not known if there were any charges filed over this matter. It does appear that not only was the first attempted punch thrown by the younger guy, but the first connected punch was also thrown by the younger guy. So I guess this bald guy could claim he took the table in self-defense, that he was worried he was going to get beaten up if he didn't stop this guy. I assume they kicked out the bald guy. I don't know about the other one. I think they should probably be both kicked out here. I mean, it's to grab a table and hit him with... It's not like he was getting pounded there. He could have just run to security if he was that concerned. You you, you can't pick up a weapon like a, a table. It can really hurt someone. I mean... Uh, I don't know if I don't think the guy, the the one who got hit with the table is hurt that badly because he was still walking after that, but it looked like it hurt. I mean, they they wrote in that comment, "Bruh, cracked him good." It it kind of sounded like that. You see him swing it, and you're it looked like it hit his head. It's not clear if he got injured, but kind of looked like it. So that was kind of overdoing it. It was weird how the younger guy was so insulted by the fuck your mother and your mama thing. It's not like the bald guy knew his mom. It's just like a generic insult. Fuck your mother. I mean, how, how can you really be that offended by that? It's not like his mother was in the room. It's not like he had seen his mother and was insulting her. He said, fuck your mother. I'm sure he had no knowledge of that guy's mother. <laughs> he just says, yo mama at one point, which it's not even an insult. Yo mama. That's all he said when the other guy's pissed about the fuck your mother's. Yo, mama! Let's listen to this again. 
Yo mama It's funny because he only did that because the other guy's making such a deal about fuck your mother being offensive. You don't talk about my mother Yo mama In case you're wondering about the race of these two people if there's any racial element to this, no. They are both white. One's older than the other. One's fatter than the other. But they're both white. I've never seen a fight at the Hustler. I've been there a number of times. I never saw a fight break out there. But that's where it was. All right, finally, we're going to do a coronavirus topic. Looks like we didn't get Brandon tonight. We didn't get... Trader Ruski, he's probably sleeping. Didn't get Calwatt. Looks like this one may be just me, this show. Unless we get a call here. I've had a decision to make. I've talked about it before. But I've had a decision to make, and I've been agonizing over it. And that is about the fourth shot. And this is not something that was difficult for me with the third shot. The third shot, I was seeing so many good reports about it and its effectiveness that I was going to get it as soon as I could, which I did, and I got it in mid-October. The fourth shot was less clear because there were reports out of Israel, which was the earliest to get the fourth shot, that it didn't seem very effective. It was only giving people a few percentage points better efficacy against Omicron than just three shots. So I thought to myself, why bother? It was said that it seemed to be doing better at preventing hospitalization for the older patients, because they only gave it to older people when they did the study. To me, it kind of looked like one of these things that, yeah, it's good for old people with depressed immune systems, but everybody else, like, it's probably not doing very much. And I have side effects from these shots. So it's not like I just get it and it's no problem. I get it and go through days of side effects after it. And it sucks. It's very unpleasant. Like, I I sit there wishing the days could pass and be over because of how I feel. The third shot brought me a fever of almost 103. I had so many body aches and pains that I couldn't even sleep, despite the fact that I was very tired. And it was this thing where I was very tired but couldn't fall asleep because... Every position was so uncomfortable because so many things in my body hurt. And I had this uncomfortable fever, too. And I had a headache, which was indirectly caused by being in bed so long. So the shot didn't cause the headache, but being in bed caused the headache. And I didn't take any pain relievers because I wanted the shot to work really well. When it was all over, which again took uh, about three days, it was a lot slower with me than most people. When it was all over and I felt normal again, I said, next time, if I do take a fourth shot, if a fourth shot is necessary, I'm going to at least take some pain relievers to bring down the fever and to help with the body aches and the headache that would come from being in bed all day. That will at least moderate how miserable this feels. That was a big problem. Is I, I refused to take anything for it. So I said, next time I'm at least going to take things. And 
there never has been a good study on whether taking any pain relievers when you're getting the side effects matters. There's a theory that it does hurt the effectiveness somewhat. There's also a theory that it doesn't. The stronger theory is that it's more important not to take aspirin before it, but that uh, after the aspirin has worn off, that it's fine to take uh, to, to get the shot. You just don't want the aspirin in your system suppressing the immune response that initially shows up. But uh, once you've got the initial response, it's fine to take that to bring down the symptoms. And the reason that said that's okay is because you're not fighting a real disease. That sometimes you don't want to take something to stop your body from actually defeating whatever disease it's trying to beat. But here, since it's a fake disease, it's just making your body think it has something, that it doesn't really matter if you suppress the defenses as long as it won't depress the defenses uh, which would occur when you really get it. But it's not known for sure. But I had to kind of make this compromise with myself that I should get this... uh, I I need to take these pain relievers to make this more tolerable because I just can't go through this every six months to go through days of miserable sickness. It just... Is something I don't want to do this often. So that's what I would do for the fourth shot. And I said that right after the third shot was over. But still, it's unpleasant. And if it's only going to give me a few percentage points better of efficacy, there's no point. But the World Series of Poker is coming up. It's coming up very soon. And you need at least a few weeks for the shot to take effect. You're not immediately more protected after you get the shot. You need some time for the antibodies to develop. Maybe only two weeks, but it's at least two weeks. And three or four might even be better. For the third shot, they were saying that uh, four was the time you were getting peak protection. The three weeks is probably pretty good, too. The World Series of Poker is probably one of the most dangerous things you can do COVID-wise, as far as your chance of catching covid Why? Because you're in a space indoors with thousands of people for 12 plus hours per day, every day. So it's a lot worse than being at a concert where you're only there for a few hours or a stadium where you're probably outdoors. And even if you're not, you're there for a few hours where the ceilings are really, really high. You know, here at the World Series, there's some rooms where the ceilings are not high. It really is just the very worst thing you can do as far as catching COVID other than knowingly going indoors with somebody you know has COVID. So like, yeah, if you get in a car and sit in the car with someone for two hours who has COVID at the moment, that is much worse. But short of that, just a general activity in public, going in a room with thousands of people and staying there all day and then coming back the next day and doing the same thing, next day doing the same thing, it just compounds your risk over and over and over again. And with Omicron being as transmissible as it is, that can be big trouble for you. And if it's been a long time since you got that third shot, 
or maybe even you never even got the third shot, then you have a pretty decent shot at catching Omicron if you haven't had it yet. So I have had no form of COVID, unless I had it and it was never symptomatic, but I don't think this would happen. I think I just haven't had it. And my last shot was in mid-October, which is seven months ago. So studies they've done on the third shot have shown that after this amount of time, seven months, you have significantly less protection against symptomatic Omicron. I don't have no protection, but the protection is pretty low. So I'm thinking, you know, if I go to the World Series and spend any real time there, the chance of me getting Omicron is not that low. And that would suck. It can suck in a few ways. It can suck if I want to go home and I can't because I'm stuck there because I'm sick with Omicron. It can suck what happens in the middle of an event. I actually have to quit the event. That'd be even worse. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that could happen with me getting Omicron there which would really suck. So I thought, you know what, I, I really should do whatever I can do to prevent me getting Omicron while I'm there. And for the main event, the only event I played in 2021, I got the third shot a few weeks before that, and it ended up being very helpful because uh, it was not Omicron, it was Delta, but Delta was right in the same room with me for days, and I didn't get it. A lot of people got it. I didn't get it. So could I have the same result? Hopefully not bubbling the main event like I did, but could I have the same result with COVID like I did in November by getting the fourth shot? Well, I was very much on the fence. Now, I want to say that I don't think that people should be required to get shots to play the World Series. Not a second shot, third, fourth, nothing. You just If you want to get the shot because it makes you feel safer, then get it. If you don't, then don't. Because it's been shown that it's not really preventing transmission. So this really should be up to everybody if they want to get the shot. And it was just a matter of my personal decision. There is no VAX requirement this year at the World Series. There is no mask requirement at the World Series. So you can show up unvaxxed and wear no mask and you can still play. So it's not about requirements. It's about whether I think it's the right thing for me to do for myself. Well, I was actually leaning towards no because of what I was seeing from the studies that it just wasn't justified and There were some other downsides, such as the potential for T-cell exhaustion, which is the phenomenon when you get too many shots in a short time of a vaccine, which definitely is the case here. You're getting a lot in a short time that your body can become too used to seeing it and your body can actually decide not to fight it as vigorously because your body will start to see this as something that's just normal that you have. And then your body doesn't fight it as well. It's called T-cell exhaustion. So there's some fear that getting too many vaccines in a short period of time, and this would be my fourth shot in 13 months. So that's a lot. You get two up front, and then you would be two boosters. That that could bring on T-cell exhaustion, which could actually make me more vulnerable 
to bad effects of COVID than if I got no shots at all. So that would really be a disaster. So this isn't without risk. And then the vaccine itself has some risk. Not a high risk. And the worst of the risks does not apply to my age group. That's the myocarditis that happens to young men and boys. But I'm too old for that concern. It just doesn't seem to be happening to people my age from the shot. But still, there are risks. There are people who get the shot and drop dead. Not many. It's a tiny percentage. The risk to me of dying from COVID is much higher than from the vaccine. Furthermore, I've already had three shots, and while it's possible it's aggravated this gout condition I have, it hasn't done anything to my health that I know of that's bad. I haven't had any kind of major health problems from it. Obviously, it didn't kill me. So the fact that I've gone through it three times and I'm still here makes it a lot less of a chance that the fourth one would bring on a new problem. But there is the chance. So why go through any risk at all if it's not going to do much good? And by the way, that is the rationale that is used for old people and colonoscopies. Every colonoscopy has a risk. And I actually got a text from a listener. I won't say who. I don't know if he wants it public. But a listener thanked me for advising people to get colonoscopies. And and this person went and got one and actually found a polyp. It was benign, but they found a polyp there. And he was happy that he did it. This is someone who's younger than I am. But old people, they actually advise certain old people. This will never be my case. But people who've never had a polyp found before, like my mom, are actually advised once they're in their like mid-70s not to bother with colonoscopies anymore. Because if you haven't had a polyp by then, you're probably never going to get one. And there is a risk to a colonoscopy. Not a large risk, but there is a risk that things can happen. And if you've never had a polyp, then they say, okay, you've gone so many years without one, it's not worth taking the risk of the colonoscopy, even a small one. The benefit's just not there. Whereas someone like me, who had precancerous polyps in my colon, that means I'm prone to them, and so was my dad, and so was his mom, who actually died of colon cancer. So I will be going for those the rest of my life, even when I'm very old. But the reason I'm bringing this up is that there's always risks to doing things like taking a vaccine or getting a procedure done, even things that are known to be very safe. They're never 100% safe. So it all boils down to an equation of risk, reward, and inconvenience. The inconvenience part is being sick, which I know will resolve after three days, but still... Those three days are unpleasant, so that's not just a trivial thing. Then there's the risk. What if the vaccine does something to me, either major or minor? And the reward is, will I be protected further from getting Omicron? Will this be the difference maker of getting Omicron and not getting Omicron at the WSOP? Which it could be. Well, I read an article about the fourth shot, which gave me some more faith in it. And I want to tell you what I found there and what I think of the fourth shot right now. 
the article said that it was found in a study in the UK that the fourth dose is useful for people who either are old or people who have gone more than 30 weeks since their third shot. Now, why 30 weeks? Well, the good news was that they found that the Pfizer shot would bring at the peak of antibody generation that you'd have uh, 1.5 times the number of antibodies that you would have at the peak of the third shot antibodies. So you'll have even more antibodies than the third shot gave you. And for Moderna, it's actually double of what you'd have from the peak of the third shot. However, they did find that you're just not getting enough of an antibody boost if it hasn't been 30 weeks, that you have enough antibodies anyway from the third dose, that if it hasn't been 30 weeks, that getting the fourth dose is going to run into what they call the the ceiling. That there's only so much more it does for you at that point. That you still have plenty of antibodies and the additional ones it gives you are just not going to help that much. And that would explain why those in Israel who did this study on how effective the fourth dose was, they had taken the third dose four months beforehand. Not all of them, but a lot of them were four months beforehand. And this newer study is claiming that the fourth dose only four months later is is not useful enough to be worth it because you still have enough antibodies to where it's not adding that many. So that would explain why people who got it four months later were not seeing a big benefit from it. And there's always Omicron breakthrough cases with these vaccines. These vaccines are not perfect against Omicron. So there's been breakthrough cases the whole way. That's why you've heard about this of, of people who are famous that got triple vaxxed and still got Omicron, even if it hadn't been that long since they got the third dose. So the fourth one, if you're doing it four months later, it's only going to give you a little added benefit, like the Israeli study said. But what they found is that there's such a degradation between four months and seven months that there you're really resetting it to give you a lot more protection than you currently have. So this 30-week mark they're talking about, that's what I'm at right now. It's been 30 weeks since I got the third shot. So from what they've seen is that people like me who, who got their third shot 30 weeks ago have a low number of antibodies present for Omicron and that if I were to be exposed to Omicron, there's a pretty good chance that I would get symptomatic disease at this point, that the T-cells are fewer, the antibodies are way fewer, that after 30 weeks, you really do need a boost because it's really gone downhill. But after four months, no. Because what happens is it hits that ceiling. You just don't get that much better. So what they've suggested in uh, these articles I read about these studies was that if it's been 30 weeks or more, or if you're old 
and or have a depressed immune system, then it's a good idea to get this fourth shot because it'll bring your antibody level back. In fact, it'll bring it above where it was at the peak of the third shot. But if it hasn't been 30 weeks, and if you're not really old, then you probably shouldn't bother yet. And there's another good reason to possibly wait, and that is because they may release a vaccine which is Omicron-specific that will do better fighting it than the current vaccines, which are the same ones than we were getting uh, back in early 2021, which were originally designed to fight original COVID. It wasn't even Delta. Now, I will say for me, it seems like it's done well because I had Omicron right in my house and I didn't get it. I had Delta right in the WSOP in the same room with me. A lot of people having it. I didn't get it. So it seems like with me that the vaccine has done well, probably, to stop me from getting symptomatic COVID. So since I do meet these requirements, the 30 weeks, I think that uh, I probably should get it. One other thing I haven't mentioned yet. Remember natural immunity? Remember the debate about natural immunity? And the political right was saying that natural immunity should be fine instead of a vaccine. And people in the political left are saying, no, 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 it's not the same. You, you need to get vaccinated no matter what. Well, the recent study actually does back the right on this, that natural immunity is better. It was found that people who got the fourth shot, who had Omicron at some point, did not really get any benefit from it. That they still had enough antibodies in their system to where they don't need this. And it was concluded that it seems that natural immunity is better than vaccine immunity. So if you've had Omicron, remember Omicron didn't appear in the U.S. until December. So there's no way you had Omicron if you were in the U.S. more than five months ago. And you probably didn't get it more than four and a half months ago. So if you've had Omicron, you're probably still well protected from Omicron, even if you never got the vax. So they're actually saying from the more recent study that natural immunity is pretty damn good. It's better than vaccine, especially against Omicron, and that getting this extra shot is not going to help you much. But that doesn't apply to me. I have not had Omicron. So to conclude... If you are someone who has not had the third shot in seven months or more, and if you are someone who hasn't had Omicron, then it probably is a good idea to get the fourth shot, but it's not urgent. You may want to wait and see if they come out with a vaccine aimed at Omicron, because that'll be a better vaccine. So maybe you want to do that. Maybe you just don't want a fourth shot because you're concerned about this T-cell exhaustion, which could be a real thing. Maybe you just don't want to deal with the side effects. And these are all reasonable decisions. And if I was not going to the World Series of Poker, I probably would not bother with this fourth shot. But it's the fact that I'm going to the World Series of Poker, I really think I should do it. Because if I'm at the World Series of Poker and I do not have this fourth shot, and then I get Omicron in the middle of the event, I'm going to be really mad at myself for letting that happen. Now, it's not like I will have no chance of getting it anyway. I I may still get Omicron when I'm there. But at least this should lower the chance. And I will have, like, peak antibodies right in my system when I'm there, 
which is a good thing to have. When I do get it, provided I go through with it, I will report to you guys how I tolerate it this time. And if the aspirin or Advil I take when I'm experiencing side effects, if that helps me. This will be the first time I try that. Now, will I get a fifth shot? Is it possible I'll be uh, getting a fifth shot at the end of 2022 or maybe early 2023? I don't know. If I think it's the right thing to do, I really don't like the idea of having to do this every six months. It's one thing to get sick. You can't help it, but to voluntarily put this into your body and get yourself sick for days. And I was just lying there with a fever and I'd I'd get up. I'd be up for five minutes and I go, oh, I've got to lie down again. <laughs> I'd get back in bed. I really would have about five minutes of energy and then have to get back in bed. It wasn't that I was physically unable to move. It was just that I would feel very tired. I'd feel, I'd feel the same way you'd feel after being up like 18 hours. Except I can't fall asleep because everything was hurting too much. So it was crappy. And I'm voluntarily giving myself that. Now, maybe I'll luck out and it'll be milder this time. Maybe I'll get different side effects. I, I just don't think so because the second and third were so similar. They really followed a very similar pattern. And I have to imagine the fourth probably will too. The second and third both had kind of a weird first hour, which I kind of had some kind of weird symptoms following the shot immediately. Then that went away after about an hour. Then I felt good. Felt some arm pain, but that was it. Everything else felt totally normal. In fact, the third shot, I felt more energetic after about nine hours. Then at about the 12, 13-hour mark, I got really tired. Went to bed. Three and a half hours later, I wake up, and I've got a high fever. And everything hurts. That was the experience both times. And when I went to bed, when I got really tired, I didn't feel sick. I just felt really tired. I went from feeling very energetic to like really tired. But I'm like, okay, well, I'm tired. Let's get in bed. It didn't feel bad. You know, I just went up, got in bed, fell asleep real fast. That's not the worst thing. Within three and a half hours, I wake up and I, I, I know right away. I don't have to take my temperature. I know right away it's a fever. I know right away it's body aches. I, I just know right away everything's crappy. And then... I grab the thermometer, take it, and yep, it's a high fever. In fact, the third shot brought on the second fever that I had that was over 102 in 30 years. The first also was in 2021 when I got a dental infection. So in 2021, I had my first two fevers over 102 in almost 30 years. And it was my first fever at all from the second COVID shot that I got uh, in April of last year. That was the first fever at all that I had had in more than a decade. I, I just don't get fevers very much. So that one I got from the dental infection was unusual. But I actually had two fevers that were around 103 degrees, one from the vaccine, one from the dental infection, and then from the second shot from the vaccine, I got a fever of about 102. So who knows, it could be even higher this time. I get like a 104 fever. But I will take something for it. 
Trader Ruski, hello. You're coming right at the end of the show. Right at the end here. What's happening, Jeff? Trader Ruski is the man who's going to be uh, giving us the news shortly about the hats and how much it's going to cost and how fast they can be made, etc. Yeah, I know it's I know it's going to be five to seven days. Oh, the good. hat guy just, just got COVID for the second time. Oh. So, uh, but he doesn't seem to be too sick, but he'll be on top of it. Uh, yeah. Well. When are you leaving? When are you leaving? Dropping we've got a few. We've got a few weeks here. We've got a few weeks, but uh, so the hat guy has COVID. That's not good. Yeah, but he'll just be doing everything uh, remotely. So I'm going to be and sending then, everybody uh, uh, COVID hats. <laughs> <laughs> that might dissuade some people from getting one. But okay, yeah, five to seven days is fine, and you know, uh, we'll we'll give them out when they're ready, and we'll, as I said earlier in the show, I will announce this when we're ready to send them, and at that point, you guys can start uh, shipping me the address or telling me where to meet you at the World Series or when you'll be there, and we can arrange something. I'd prefer you come to me, actually, if you're going to do it that way. So I, I don't want to go searching for you. But, like, you know, for example, if I'm playing an event while you're there, I'll say come to table such and such, seat such and such, and you'll just come over and I'll hand you a hat. And uh, People are funny about, like, interrupting ongoing World Series events, but trust me, it's okay. Uh, it's, like, if I'm in a hand, just wait for me to f- be done with it. But a lot of time at the World Series is spent just sitting around and waiting to be dealt cards again after you fold. So at the beginning, when I'm at a table, I'll watch the play so I can get an idea of everybody and their play style. But eventually that becomes uh, redundant because you've seen it. You've got an idea of the way people play. So there's a lot of time you're just kind of sitting and not doing much. So don't feel bad about coming up to me. If I tell you to come to my table, you can come to my table. As long as they don't have cards right in front of me, then I'll be fine with the interruption, and I'll give you the hat. And, uh, yeah, so I, I'm not uh, totally sure about this vaccine yet. Which one did you get, Chuck? Uh, the Pfizer. I'm, I'm leaning towards the fourth shot very yeah. soon, but I, I am not 100% yeah. sure. I, t- I had the fourth shot. I, didn't have t- I really didn't have uh, too much of a reaction, really, at all. Did you have a reaction to the third? No. Well, uh, that's I mean, a different story. More, you know, I, I mean, it was more just like being tired a couple of days later. Yeah, see, see, Kalwat told me that he had the fourth shot already and he had no reaction, but that's that was the same as the third shot for him. So if you don't have much of a reaction, it's an easy decision. It's just I, I'm just dreading what's going to happen. I'm just dreading the experience of this again because both times I couldn't wait to get better. I couldn't wait for it to be over. In fact, I, I had to warn everybody in the family that for two days I couldn't drive. So for the next two days I can't drive. So <laughs> I asked, you need me to drive anywhere the next two days? I'm not going to be able to. And I was right. Just drink a ton of water. Yeah, I'm going to try that. So that's the story there. And I have people criticizing me for it, saying, oh, you're, you're, you're falling for the... The media's propaganda, and I'm not falling for anybody's propaganda. I've been looking at this and trying to figure out what is the right decision. 
and I, I, I don't really care what people's opinions are about me taking it. This is just a, a personal health decision I'm making that's unique to me. In this case, I, I think going to the World Series seven months, actually more than seven months, seven and a half months, all the way through uh, nine months after I got last vaccinated probably isn't very good because these vaccines don't last very long. I'm probably going to do it, and I'll let you guys know how it goes, and hopefully I can continue my streak of no COVID. I really don't want to get that. And even Omicron, which is said to be milder, I've, I've known people who've had it who've told me that it was very unpleasant. So I'm glad I haven't had to experience that yet. Anyway, I'm done here. Kind of a lighter news week, as you guys probably noticed. But we have that. We can't have a major scandal every week. I will broadcast from the World Series when I have time. And I'll let you guys know, as always, how I'm doing in the events there. And I already uh, have some plans what I'm going to do there. And uh, Trey Daruski, I hope I'll see you at, see you at the uh, seniors event. I don't. I don't think I can do the senior event. I'm, I'm going to play the no limit um, or the limit on the sixth. Okay. Well, I'll see you at that one. You'll be there for that, right? Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, I'll see, I'll see you at that one then. I, I I was hoping to see you at the seniors event for some reason. I think because I, yeah, I've been. I, I, I've been jealous all these years that you could play and I couldn't. Now, now I can play. I have. A, I think I have a conflict. When is it? Do you know the date offhand? I think it's June twenty third. Yeah, I have a conflict. Yeah, it wasn't a good date for me either. I almost skipped, and I'm like, oh, I just can't skip it though. Like <laughs> it's the first year I can do it. But I almost did because it was a crappy date. It was really not a good time for that to be. I was disappointed when I saw the date of that. But I've been looking at it all these years. Going twenty twenty two is the year. Finally be 50. One good thing about turning 50. I guess the one good thing about turning 60 is I'll be able to play the super seniors. But again, you will get there first before I do. True. Well, I'm done here. I don't have anything more to say. Did a pretty long show considering we had a slow news week. But not as long as it's been in recent times. And... Trader Ruski, uh, you have some like 5 a.m. meetings today? Is that why you're up at this time? No, I just had a long week, so I passed out early. I was going to try to get in on the back end of the show, but um, yeah, I know it, was a, it seemed like a, a shorter one tonight, but um, yeah, and I've got a meeting at 7, but... No, oh, it's 7, you know, okay. Not too bad. All right. Well, thank you for uh, joining us for the very end here. I had to go at it alone almost the entire way. And that's how it happens sometimes. Okay, and I'm on the hats, and I'll look into the fitted ones versus the ones with the plastic uh, things. I'll get the options, and we'll, we'll uh, talk next week. All right, very good. Thank you for doing that. And yes, people, I will send them to you for free and give them to you for free. And you heard the requirements at the beginning of the show, near the beginning of the show, if you didn't catch that part then go back in the archives and listen to it please follow the instructions please don't send me addresses now i'm going to ignore them until i'm ready to send them got to do this in an orderly fashion people it's free so please do it my way please let me manage this my way you will get a hat according to the priority there you're probably all going to get one because i'm going to probably make more than i think we need 
so I can have some extras anyway. Because it's not going to hurt to have extras, because then I can give them away in the future. So I think I'll probably have extras made as well. All right, well, thank you for listening to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I'll try to be back next week on Friday. I waited till Friday this week just so we could have a Friday show again. Hopefully we will keep that for now. So next week, uh, right now, uh, May 20th is the projected next show. But if that changes, it'll be announced on Twitter.com slash Poker Fraud Alert, our Poker Fraud Alert Twitter account. feel about the Rio not being the place the World Series is anymore. I mean, in some ways, it'll be nice to be away from there. It'd be nice to just step onto the strip and be there instead of isolated by the Rio. But I got used to the Rio, you know? I was familiar with the Rio. I'm not familiar with the rooms or really enough at Paris and Bally's. I mean, I know the hotels and casinos, sort of, but I knew the Rio so much better. I was like a Rio expert. I like I had to relearn everything. And you know what? I'm too old to learn everything. Like I, I like just doing familiar stuff I know. I don't want to learn a new hotel. I gotta learn a new. I gotta learn two new hotels. Oh my goodness! I mean, so does everybody else, but still. And like Negreanu was saying, he's a little bit sad. It's not at the Rio. I kind of get it. I kind of get why Negreanu feels a little sad. It's not at the Rio because you just get used to it. Now Negreanu was in a, a bracelet slump. He was getting a lot of seconds, but he was not getting bracelets. So. Maybe that will uh, spur him to win a bracelet again. I hope it spurs me to win a bracelet again. I don't really care about Negreanu, but I want to win one again. It's been 17 years. Hopefully I will do it this time. All right. Well, thank you once again for listening to the show. I appreciate we still have an audience after all this time. We're probably the second longest running poker show out there at the moment. Shalom. <laughs>